"'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the land Fox News warned its viewers of a dastardly plan. The liberals were launching their war on the season to get rid of Christmas and commit acts of treason, removing decorations out of their sight and telling you that Santa and Jesus ain't white. Environmentalists who will come right after your soul. They hate all things Christmas, especially the coal. They'll sneak in your house all dressed in their flannel and instead give the bad kids some new solar panels. They'll take up all decorations that please us. They'll even go after tiny baby Jesus. Now all these fox lies cause such a frustration. Who would save us all from this misinformation? When live from the net there came lots of chatter. Could it be old Saint Nick, or perhaps someone fatter? Broadcasting from New Orleans down in Louisiana, it was none other than Liberal Dan, coming to save the holiday season, busting through their lies with facts, logic, and reason. But I cannot do it myself, he exclaimed. So he called other groups, each one by name, on Christians, on Muslims, on Wiccans, on Jews, on Hindus and Buddhists, and atheists too. Let us all spread the word and tell them indeed that there's no war on Christmas, just one on greed. So instead of joining this manufactured fight, listen to Liberal Day and Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. We have Joseph, uh, Joseph Gibson from Gibson Media. Uh, he's been on the show once before, and he also uh, has been in our chats before. And I think we had some confusion about time zones, but we're starting off right away, apparently. So here we go. Welcome, Joseph. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. And we are simulcasting with my show, Understanding the Times in Which We Live Today, Restoring Our Republic, Gibson Media. You're correct. Thanks for that, and I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. To my, the link to your show your, is on my page on Blog Talk Radio. Same thing. Um, I think yours is also pointed to mine or whatever. But, yeah, we are doing a simulcast. So it's uh, both on my Blog Talk Radio and his Blog Talk Radio, as well as streaming on YouTube as well. So uh, you can join us in, sure. I guess, any of the chats. Although if you're in his chat, I'm not going to see his. If you're in my chat, he might not see mine. So <laughs> it is what it is. I guess. <laughs> okay, what, what was that? <laughs> yeah, I kind of echoed those words there. It is what it is. But uh, yeah. uh, I don't know how you want to begin here uh, as far as the you know policy. I think we got into a good conversation in your last podcast there. But, you know, um, I believe you were attacking Trump a, a, a great deal, and I brought up the, the issue of, look, let's look at the facts here in, in America right now. Let's look at the Republican versus the uh, Democrat policies. Or we can just go right off the bat here and you attack what Trump has done, and you do it often, of uh, his, his recent achievements of what he has done during his presidency before he runs again, which I, he is going to run again. And one of the things that I wanted to bring up is that since we're always attacking his, his, uh, this notion that he's a racist, uh, Trump's a racist, a neo-Nazi, uh, you know, Trump signed three bills to benefit the Native people. You know, one gave them uh, compensation to the Spokane uh, tribe for the loss of their lands in the, in the mid-1900s. Uh, one funds uh, Native 
language programs, and the third gives federal uh, recognition to the little uh, shell tribe, to the uh, Chippewa Indians in Montana. Uh, that's just one example of uh, Trump's so-called uh, massive racism. Um, what, would you like to year, comment on that? Was it that pass? What year did that pass? Uh, I believe it was in uh, well, 2019, I believe. Okay, so we did that with the Democratic Congress, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Okay, so and um, was he pushing for those things to be in those bills in order for them to get done, or did he, since the president doesn't have a line on a veto, uh, was it something that the Democrats put in the thing and he, he wanted to sign the overall bill, so he just accepted those monies as part of the overall general bill, or was, was it a standalone? I don't know. About the bill in and of itself, well, well, but it's it was, it was a bipartisan. It, it, well, it was a bipartisan effort, in, in, you know, in the Congress to, for those bills to be pushed. But, the, but what I'm trying to point at is, if Trump is such a racist, why wouldn't he just veto that? You know, I mean, why would he allow and sign that bill in 2019? Why would he do that? You know, well, again, was such it a standalone bill? You know, we're attacking this. Was it part of a was it part of a greater bill? Like which bill was it where the, where these things passed? Like what was the law where these three things was it separate bills individually standalone or was it part of a greater thing? I mean sometimes you know if people in in Washington often vote for or sign bills regardless of what, what whatever branch you're in they'll vote for those bills you know even or or sign those bills even if they don't agree with everything within the bill. So, I mean, unless he was outwardly advocating and, and saying, you know, the I won't do my bad imitation, but if he was out there saying that he, that he wanted these as part of the bill, if he was out there campaigning for them, sure, I'll give him credit for that. I've given him credit before. On a, on a separate subject, I gave him credit on um, the a bill that will, the right to try legislation about um, – things that were in studies that weren't quite yet approved by the FDA and people who were, you know, having like cancer treatments or other serious illnesses. And, and he, he pushed for and signed this right to try legislation. I gave him credit for that. I'm, I'm more than willing to give him credit when credit is due. I just don't know how much credit he should get for this particular thing, because I mean, you know, that he, that he signed the law that put that in the, that put that in, into effect. But I don't know how much he pushed for it. I don't know if he just did it, if he just begrudgingly, maybe he didn't even know what was in the bill. Who knows? Um, so it's, it's well, a hard it time giving people it credit. Yeah, it was introduced okay. by Senator Tom Udall, Democrat of New Mexico, actually. It was introduced okay. by him. So, uh, you know, and, and so that's about as much information as I can remember on that. But uh, I think it was part of the, the uh, oh, I don't want to misquote myself, the uh, um, Reauthorization Act, I believe. I'm not sure. Uh, but I know I know it was introduced by Son, uh, Tom um, Udall, Democrat of New Mexico. But my point, again, is is that if he's such a racist, why wouldn't he just, you know, out, you know, Pick that apart, veto it. Why would he sign? Why would he sign that bill? You know, a racist surely would not sign a bill like that. I mean, especially you know when it comes to Indian tribes. That's just one example. Because since we're always attacking the fact that Trump is a racist, he's a neo-Nazi. Um, you know, and I think that's false. I mean, to, to characterize him as being a racist, he's not a racist. I don't think he, he has done anything dur- during his presidency that would define him as being a racist, other than silly comments that may have been taken out of context by the media. The corporate news media, I mean, uh, like the Proud Boys comment or something like that. But uh, any acts or, pre- or legislation or, 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 or official capacity of his job and what he did as president, he did nothing that would uh, promote uh, the idea that he's a racist.
Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, you you put the caveat. I mean, I'm not going to agree with that. I mean, you put the caveat in there of during his presidency. I mean, I don't think his racism stops once he takes office. I mean, we can point to plenty of things that he did prior to him being, you know, being elected, like, you know, during the campaign when he campaigned on a total and complete ban on Muslims entering the country. Um, that's what he campaigned on. He might have implemented something different, but he campaigned on a total and complete ban, you know, appealing to the bigoted xenophobes in that are make up a large part of his base. He, um, you know, he tried, you know, that's scapegoating an entire religion. He way, way back when he had to write that two page article in the in the um, New York Times about the Central Park Five and how he thought that they were guilty, even though they were exonerated. Um, he made his comments about he doesn't want um, he rather he would rather the people with the yarmulkes uh, handling his money over the black people handling his money. Like there, there's plenty of racist things from his past, and and leopards don't change their spots. So um, you know, and a racist doesn't okay, always have okay. to be a the racist doesn't have to always do racist things 100 percent of the time, or a bigot doesn't have to always do bigoted things 100 percent of the time. Um, there are people who. Um, who when we had Bobby Jindal as governor of Louisiana and a lot of, and there was some very racist people who supported him and people were like, well, that doesn't make any sense. If they're racist, why are they supporting him? And I'm like, because some people's racism is not, is not hatred of people because they're not white. Some people's racism is just, they like the people because he's not black, you know, like there, there's, there's varying form racism and bigotry comes in all shapes and sizes. And it's the idea that him. Oh, okay. Side, I would need, okay. All right. If you don't mind, let's let's. Uh, if you don't mind, can I just switch gears then? Violent crime. Sure, yeah. Violent crime is a problem here. Obviously, it's in the news media now. Uh, stick to issues here. Okay. While Trump was president, violent crime. Uh, after now, when he first came into office, it was on the rise. Uh, 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 um, before he was elected, okay, and then after he was elected, violent crime, I believe it dropped, uh, it dropped while he was in office uh, during the, uh, two, actually for the first two years it dropped, actually the violent crime rate, I believe, dropped steadily, um, I believe it was 523 per 100,000 inhabitants in uh, uh, 2016, 17, um, 432. Uh, hang on, I gotta get my numbers here. I had my notes out here. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, actually, it rose slightly in 2015, 2016, but then the general trend uh, was uh, it went downward um, after the first two years that he was in office. Actually, the violent crime. So violent crime, though. Let's take it as a general across America right now. Every single city, major city in America, has had a sharp increase in violent crime and all crime in general. Okay, uh, if you look across the board at the uh, stats, whether it be gun violence, whether it be uh, assault, any type of violent crime is on a sharp rise since Biden has taken office. What? How can how can the Democrats take? any type of credit for the policies that they've implemented or lack thereof since, since Biden has taken office. Uh, I mean, crime is out of control. How do we stop this? The current policies that Democrats propose and have proposed in, while in office in the major inner cities and across America has failed. I mean, can you tell me of any policy that they've implemented in any city across America that has worked thus far, that has uh, uh, decreased crime? 
Well, let, let me just let me just look. Let, let's look at the numbers for a second. So I'm looking at the U.S. murder slash homicide rate um, at, at data data from 1990 to, to 2022. Um, and yeah, in, in 2017, um, there was the first year of Trump's being in office. There was a um, 1.32 percent decline from 2016, and then then. 2018, there was a 5.9% decline from 2017, and then the next year there was a slight increase and went from 5.01 to 5.07, uh, 1.19% increase, and then in 2020 there was a, it was 6.52 or a 28.64% increase. So um, I would say that crime started in, that at least with murders and homicides or whatever, uh, those started raising while Trump was still president um, and not not after he left office. Now. Um, a lot of the things that are that are dealing with crime, you know, you have um, causation versus correlation. Like, for example, you're going to have big cities. Big cities are going to have crime because more crime because more people are in them. Um, and a lot of people will refer to um, let's see, let's pull up this this information: violent crime by city per or murder rate city per capita. Murder rate because a lot of people like to point to. Um, uh, a lot of people like to point towards Chicago. Well, let's look at the city of Atlanta. From, from 2020 to 2021, the number of murders went up by 3%, according to the Atlanta Police Department. Okay, so uh, let's see here. Um, and, 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 you know, pandemic, it's very hard to put a number on during the pandemic years. It kind of it's confusing. Yeah, so it kind of gets mixed. You know, I, I don't want people to, you know, mix that up. Oh, hold on so, a second. I, I try to go pre-pandemic or after. I have to change the time. I've inadvertently made a 15-minute show, so I've switched it to uh, I switched it to, <laughs> oh, okay. to longer. Hold on, wait. It's still still coming up as not being that. Let's see. There you go. Oh, technical nope, difficulties. <laughs> yes, I'm having technical difficulties. There you, oh, I have to hit save. There you go. Okay, now we're good. Now we're not going to end in, in 30 seconds. So All we're right. Good. All right. Um, All right. <laughs> so like. You know, murders in Atlanta. You know, you know, and you know. Okay, you talk. You brought 1990. Very interesting because I, I actually have those stats right here in front. Of you. Murders are up by 65 percent. Yet compared to 1990, murders in Atlanta are down by 32 percent. If you're looking at that, despite steady population growth, the city's murder total. The city's murder total in 2021 was all was also roughly the same as the annual tallies in the early 2000s. Um, okay, if you look at those stats, but if you look at um, if you go to that. The Obama administration? What we know from the FBI. I don't have the figures, but were they during the Obama administration? The Obama administration, um, let's see, during the Obama administration, uh, the, the Atlanta, if you, what, what do you want to talk about, Atlanta, the city of Atlanta, or Nashville? Yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about the city of Atlanta. Okay, city of Atlanta. Okay, for example, I first pointed out in Atlanta from twenty to tw- mm. uh, from 2020 to 2021, the number of murders went up by three percent, according to the Atlanta Police Department. Okay. Okay. Now, if, if uh, so, okay, again, this is just one example of the si- violent crime in the cities across America. They're up all across every single city in America. Violent crime is up. And we know who who's elected in these most of these cities across America. It's Democrats. The Democrats and their policies of no bail, uh, 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 catch and release, um, 
uh, uh, emptying out the prisons, which, look, I'm all for uh, 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 prison, prison control and letting people out because I believe prisons is a failed industry and, and, it's, and it's disgustingly disproportionate when it treats uh, different uh, races of people. And there's a lot of things there we could talk about and that's that deep rabbit hole. But all in all, in general, the policies of the Democrats across the board have failed. They have failed. And I believe a lot of the Republican policies also get tough on crime. That's a failing, locking people up, throwing away the key. I don't believe in that either. I believe there's a whole different way of going about it if I was in office. But that's not the point. The point being is that the Democratic policies are complete failure. What can you say on that? And I mean, what can what's the excuse? Or, or as you being a liberal, how can you support any Democrat across America today and the policies that they're implementing in the cities? Well, I look at violent crime and let you have a, a good long time to get that out. Uh, so violent crime, I'm looking at the stats like during the Obama administration. Um, I'm assuming it's for 100,000 people, like 120, 120, between somewhere between 120 and 140, probably about 130 almost, maybe 125 um, per maybe 10,000 or 100,000. I'm not seeing the, the number of hundreds of thousands by the crime. But anyway, so is that 125-ish or whatever in 2009? 2010, if you get down to 2016, it was all the way down to 90. So it was cut. Uh, it was 70. It was cut by 25 percent during the Obama administration. And then it dropped, you know, a little further, you know, during Trump's administration as well. And then it started going back up during Trump administration as well, but nowhere near where it was in 2009. Um, even now, even with the the increase. Um, the other thing is that you know talk about bail and how Democrats want to eliminate bail. That's that's not unfortunately I think conservatives have the wrong idea of what it means to eliminate cash bail. Uh, elimination of cash bail doesn't mean everybody goes free. Elimination of cash bail means that the, your ability to pay will not dictate your ability to get out of jail um, on like violent types of crimes. So for example, if uh, you're a murderer, you know, and you're, and you are, you're a millionaire, you won't get the opportunity to get bail just like if you were a person who was, you know, impoverished and living on the streets. Um, that's what the cash bail system is, or eliminating the cash bail system is supposed to do. It's supposed to be, it's taking away the inequities. You know, are there circumstances, you know, where um, people who are released on their own recognizance at that point who go and go back and commit another crime? Sure. And, and sometimes they go from like committing like a, a petty theft crime to something more serious, but you can't, hold that you can't just assume that just because they did like a petty theft crime that they're going to not do, that they're going to do something more serious so within we have to keep them locked up and if it was somebody who was wealthy that person if you if you still had bail that wealthy person would still be able to bail out of that particular thing and that wouldn't stop them from doing some other crime as well so you know so, so, so there's, there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding and i think a lot of the, the the misunderstanding or the misrepresentation comes from a lot of these um conservative sheriffs who are probably getting a lot of money from the bail bondsman type folks who are going to lose a lot of money if they lose the opportunity to provide bail to people. So um, there's, there's a lot to look into with that. But I, I do think, is, are they, are, have people, have cities perfectly implemented that? No, but I don't think there's any policy that we can look at that was perfectly implemented. So, um, but Again, I don't, by, by, by making system, by having a system that makes it more likely uh, for persons of color uh, to not be able to make bail, to not to have to sit in jail longer to wait for a trial, uh, and then to have 
um, all the other problems that come with being um, poor in this country and black people are disproportionately poor in this country, you end up having a, a cyclical form of, of justice that just funnels these people in and out of prison instead of working on things like um, making sure that they don't commit crimes again <laughs> and, and, and trying to give them op- more opportunities. Um, and, you know, a lot of these, these, a lot of these cities that are, that are quote, blue cities are in red states. Um, so a lot of the times the red states handcuff what these cities can do. They crack down on the, on, they want to limit the power of what cities can do because they want to have, they want to have control at the state level to, to, to stop the quote, so-called liberal policies. Well, what would be, okay, well, okay, well, you danced around that question pretty well, and, and, and you gave a vice versa or, 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 or a kind of like a, a, a question answer kind of like I did, so I'll give you credit there, but the point being then, so what do you think as a liberal or, or supporting Democrats, what should the Democrats do to stop this increase in violence across America right now? Well, there's two things, there's long-term things and short-term, short, yeah, excuse me, short-term things we need to do. Long-term things is we need to give more opportunity. We need, we need to make sure that we provide more opportunities so that people can elevate themselves out of poverty because higher, power, higher crime rates go right along with higher poverty rates. So the more poverty you're going to see, the more crime you're going to see. Um, you know, I, I am not a um, – while I understand a lot of the arguments and I agree with a lot of the arguments of the ACAB folks – no, I'm not 100%. I'm not like against police, but I'm very critical of police when police do bad. I think there are. I think police is needed at, at local, state, and federal levels to, to enforce the laws. Um, unfortunately, there are a lot of police who we have we've seen who have done wrong or have covered up for those who did wrong. Um, I think we we need holistic approaches for, on both sides. I think we need to be more. You know, involved in the schools, we need to make sure that people have opportunities to 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 so they're not just committing crimes for fun. Like, I mean, there's there's been rashes of crimes in New Orleans where it seems like they're just doing it for fun, and people are getting murdered and killed from it. I'm mean, live in New Orleans. New Orleans is a very high crime city. Um, I just don't think. Again, you, you said you know, tough on crime is also not a great thing, and we agree on that. A lot of times, back in the '90s, I think people believed tough on crime was was the smart thing to do, but you know, just locking people up and throwing them in the cage isn't helping the poverty issue, isn't helping people uh, to, 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 it's not stopping the cycle. Um, I don't have all the answers on what they should do, but I haven't seen policy proposals from Republicans who, who run, like, there was no Republican who ran for the city, mayor of city of New Orleans, for example, that I saw that had any good ideas for how to fix the violent crime problem in New Orleans. Okay. All right. So, so, but you, so you say more government is the answer. More, more involvement for the government to get involved in our, in our, in our schools. For instance, for just one example, would would, would help. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I have to disagree. I would be less government and and allowing the people to uh, less regulation, so people in entrepreneurship, uh, so people can be more creative and have more freedom and liberty to produce and create. That would create opportunity. But more government with restriction and regulation 
information and influence in governmental programs clearly doesn't work because we see that already with the democratic policies with the increase in social services, food stamp programs, you know, uh, welfare supposedly to work programs that, that fail, you know, because uh, they never go back to work because there's no jobs to go back to work to. You have Dollar General jobs, McDonald's jobs. Uh, so, you know, so I would believe that, and that's because there's a lack of business and entrepreneurship and creativity in these cities because of government intrusion, intrusion in our lives with regulation, with uh, uh, restrictions, licensing. It's just uh, totally, it, it's absurd. I believe that the creativity and freedom of people is what can create jobs, real jobs, and, and, and free up the private sector. And I believe that would be the answer to creating more opportunity in these cities. Um, I think I have to disagree with that. On, uh, if you look at um, USDA.gov, uh, a recent um, analysis finds that during slowing economy, $1 billion in new SNAP benefits lead to an increase of $1.54 billion in gross domestic product. 54% above and beyond the new benefits. So there are benefits, there are helps that can happen from food stamps and other government assistance that come on. Now, I wasn't necessarily saying that all of the actions that have to be done at the local levels or at the statewide level has to be all government sponsored. I mean, so I think some of them should be. I don't believe um, in the in the negative in the, ne the overall negative view of government that often conservatives have. I think government has a role. Government's main role is protecting people and entities from other people and entities. Um, and what more important way uh, to, for government to act than to pr protect individuals from being victims of crime? So if we, if, if government needs to get involved, and I don't, I, I don't believe that the whole, you know, the whole cliche, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Uh, if, if government got involved and, and, and helped, helped to fund uh, more programs, be they government programs, be they uh, NGOs, be they nonprofits that are that are that are legitimate nonprofits and not just nonprofits for the sake of you know funneling money to rich people um you you could have many benefits to society that will help reduce crime well speaking of you know uh, numbers real quick Dave, i just i just wanted to make sure i pulled this up you know uh the because uh, of the black lives matter movement and whatnot you know uh the trend of pol police shootings the police you brought up police corruption and whatnot you know uh it, They've, it's been increasing since Biden took office, actually. Uh, 993 civilians were shot, 139 of whom were black as of uh, uh, November 30th, 2020, 2022. Uh, in 2021, there were 1,050, 1,055 fatal police shootings, and uh, um, let's see, the number of blacks were 100 and, excuse me, 100 and 16, I believe that uh, might have that number a little bit wrong there, but so so it, it's, it's definitely increasing the past couple of years as far as police shootings go, um, and and more than when Trump was actually president. So, but nothing in the media, nothing. Why is why is Black Lives Matter not dancing in the streets and marching in the streets and protesting this? Why is this not a big issue like it was when Trump was president? From the liberal community, the, the liberals out there were this was a big issue with Trump. Uh, it was because of him these shootings were happening. Because we have a racist president in, uh, in there, uh, and it, it, it's false. The numbers don't reflect that. You know, it's just one of the falsehoods in reporting of the media. And I just don't understand why. Why? And and people jump on these band, bandwagons. You know, again, I just wanted to bring that back up with you know with the Trump thing, uh, and the numbers on Trump. Um, but, but one other thing I wanted to bring up about Trump. Uh, 
Trump signed a bill making CBD or uh, hemp legal. Okay, uh, that was part of the farm bill in 2018. So, uh, the, the, uh, you know, he does again. That's that's kind of like liberal, uh, a liberal way of thinking. There, uh, he also signed into law um, to, to make cruelty to animals a federal felony. Uh, that that was a bipartisan group in Congress that uh, also deserves credit to that. So I'm, I've got to tell the truth here. But Trump signed that. Signed that. Uh, one of the uh, things that he did during his presidency. Trump finalized the creation of Space Force as our sixth military branch. Um, you know, and uh, military, military leaders publicly opposed its creation, including uh, uh, Trump's Secretary of Defense, James Mattis. Uh, you know, so, but uh, again, you know, this was, uh, this is something, uh, you know, one of his achievements uh, in office. Um, you know, so the list of Trump's accomplish, accomplishments, I want to get back to that real quick, uh, are, are great. I mean, uh, you were doing a show last week, and you, I mean, you, uh, people were tearing him down in the chat room. Trump didn't do anything as president. And, and tell me something. What has – and real quick, one more thing. Trump signed a law ending the gag orders on pharmacists that prevented them from sharing money-saving information. Okay? Um, uh, okay, look, I'll agree with that. Uh, so what has Biden – well, Biden had, Biden okay. went one step so further on Biden? marijuana. Biden went ahead and one step further and basically and basically has started the process that is required to uh, decriminalize marijuana as a whole and not just CBD. Um, and that would that that's going to probably go a very long way into working to decriminalizing it across the country because once it stops being a scheduled substance, um, which they have to follow the law to do several things to decertify it, if Congress isn't going to automatically do it by law. Um, that, you know, that, that's the one positive thing. And, and hopefully that will prevent a lot more of needless arrests because people shouldn't be arrested for simply smoking a drug, um, et, et cetera. So. Uh, well, all right. Well, what about the low wages? Workers are benefiting uh, from higher minimum wages uh, and, and from corporations that are increasing entry-level pay, pay uh, uh, when Trump was president. Uh, let's see. Uh, that was one of Trump's accomplishments, uh, higher state and local minimum wages. Uh, um, let's, see, um, um, let's see here. Wait. Trump signed the biggest wilderness protection and conservation bill in a, in a decade and uh, designated 375,000 acres as protected land. Um, uh, Trump signed the Save Our uh, Seas Act, which funds 10 million pure, uh, excuse me, 10 million per year to clean tons of plastic and garbage from the ocean. He signed a bill um, uh, in his last year, I believe, as presidency, allowing some drug imports from Canada so that prescription prices would go down. Um, meanwhile, uh, just meanwhile, one more. On Trump signed coin, executive. Um, but on the other side of the coin, Trump you know, also was pushing the Keystone Pipeline, something that's that was going over indigenous land, something that was, you know, you know, going over, you know, harming indigenous people by, by seizing their land for something that wasn't even going to benefit our domestic supply of oil because all the Keystone Pipeline extension is going to do is bring the oil down the Houston so it can be refined and then shipped out of the country to take advantage of tax benefits. So... You're, so you're saying that would did that helped America the shutting down of the Keystone pi, uh, pipeline I'm, that would that helped saying, the, that benefited America. I mean that 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 would stop the harm that was that he was that he was doing that would have been done to the indigenous tribes that was in the middle of being doing to the indigenous people who he was just he was he was allowing these corporations to trample over. Um, now, what do you mean his corporations? What do you mean his corporations? Well, what corporations? What corporations, corporations were his? The corporations he was being supportive of by by allowing them to 
but to uh, build pipeline over indigenous lands instead of saying, hey, maybe you need to find a different place to put your pipe. Well, <laughs> Um, I, I don't know. I think uh, the, the killing the, the Keystone Pipeline was a very was disastrous. You know, uh, uh, um, I can give you uh, how would it, how would the uh, oil that was, was brought from the Keystone Pipeline have helped the country? Okay, building the Keystone Pipeline, opening up the uh, the tar sands. Uh, uh, they said what was it will negatively impact national and local economies. Right? That's false. That, that's totally false. Um, let's see. Uh, by NYU uh, Law School Environmental Law Center estimates, uh, actually it would uh, actually uh, uh, increase the U.S. GDP by 2.5 percent. Uh, at the same time, local economies uh, w- uh, it would affect the local economies uh, in those areas that and help the less dependency on fossil fuels from foreign nations by uh, let's see, it would put an extra one billion dollars. Uh, actually, in the uh, – uh, excuse me, uh, I may have my numbers wrong on that one. I have to look over this real quick here because you both threw up the keystone there, and I got a bunch of stuff on that one. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, let's see. Unemployment uh, rose, actually, uh, um, um, because of shutting down the uh, keystone pipeline. Uh, what was it? Uh, Vermont went from 731 to 1,331 in uh, two weeks uh, after Hurricane Katrina wiped out 129,000 jobs in New Orleans, uh, nearly 20% for the U.S. economy as a whole. Um, uh, U.S. Ta- it will cost the U.S. taxpayers, what I'm trying to get to, is $52 billion in, in, in 10 years by shutting down the Keystone Pipeline. Okay? Um, uh, uh, you said, uh, it I mean, it, it might increase the, GDP. Uh, in, in well, it might increase GDP. That doesn't mean it's going to help the, the, the everyday citizen. It's just going to help the fat cats. It's going to help the, help the oil industry get more money. That's going to increase the GDP of the, of, of the domestic product of you know by, by increasing the profits of the of the people who are benefiting from the um, by the refinement and exporting of, of oil. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's that it's it's helping us in any way, shape, or form. It's going it's going out to other countries. It's not it's not increasing the domestic not, product at not all. It's building, not helping us. It's not helping us being energy independent, like conservatives like to claim. Uh, these things are going to do. So you're saying so so uh, so let, let, let's just say this here: a study a study uh, for energy economics developed a transition scenario for the electric power industry based on reducing energy consumption, phasing out high emission power plants, and building new lower emission energy facilities. The study estimated the number of job ye- uh, job years one new worker employed for one year that would be created by the transition scenario over a decade: 444,000 job job jobs for construction workers equivalent to 44,400 construction worker jobs full time for the entire decade that that's quite a differential in job uh, job base by uh, knocking out the keystone pipeline and going to uh this so-called electric power uh, or windmills um let's see 3.1 million indirect jobs for people um designing and manufacturing delivering materials and jobs in local economies around the country induced by spending by workers hired in the transition scenario so uh, i i don't see how shutting down the pipeline by you're talking about affecting these lands i don't have the numbers on the indigenous people lands uh how it affected the few lands that you say it affect uh, affected but um i wish i had the numbers on that i remember reading something about that but the keystone pipeline shutting that down how few is okay how few is okay to be harmed to benefit the many 
Well, look, uh, I mean, what, 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 we're gonna, everyone can't be happy. I mean, I don't have the answer to that as an individual, but we, sometimes we have to look at something in a whole as a country. What's better for the country in a whole? Surely those people that uh, uh, may have been uh, – um, bothered by the Keystone Pipeline or maybe or, or may have lost land, we're going to be compensated. Like I said, I don't have the numbers on that, so I can't speak for facts on that, but you're telling me the few that, that may have been inconvenienced by the Keystone Pipeline, it's not better to have the benefit of the country in a whole in the long run where everyone will make out? Because everyone let me, let will make out and everyone would benefit. If the Keystone Pipeline was going to be going through a large Christian cemetery... Do you think that you would see conservatives making the same arguments where it's like, oh, well, they're just being inconvenienced, you know, they're just being inconvenienced so that we can, we, it doesn't matter that they're going through the cemetery that let's, you know, forget the, forget the, forget that there are people that are buried there, you know, because we like to, you know, protect the, 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 those burial sites. But for some reason, if it's indigenous burial sites, we don't care. I mean, do, do you do you, do you think well, do you think that do you think that do you think that people would be making the same argument if it was going through a, a Christian burial site, if it was going through a Christian graveyard, on the back of a church? I, if they had to tear, I, down, I, if they had to tear down a church, you, think, I, you can't answer that. But it's I, probably. It, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think you would. You would see the same. Um, oh, let, it's just okay. These are just a few people being intervened. People would pitch a fit. People would absolutely pitch a fit because the, the, the even though it's a minority of people being affected, those people are part of the majority, and therefore they're gonna they're gonna be oh my god you're you're desecrating a, a Christian burial site. But now because it's because you're desecrating indigenous burial sites, we don't care as a country. We we um, we do that now. I have a question. I do have a, a regular person who is one of my supporters who okay. is on who is on hold. Um, no, this is gonna, you know, this okay. is just supposed to be between us two. Would you like? Would, are you okay with him coming on? And no, I don't mind. No, I don't point? mind. I don't mind at all interacting. No, I don't mind interacting right. with your uh, fan base at all. Actually, no. Cool. All right. Well, here comes uh, Demonox. Uh, thank you, first liberal animator patron. Shouts out to Demonox. Um, sorry for making you wait so long, but I did want to get to the end of that sort of end of that conversation and then make sure that he was okay with adding more people. So I didn't. I don't want to be seen as piling on. So. <laughs> All right, go oh, ahead. Sure. Fine, Not a problem. <laughs> and uh, fair warning, I, I, I'm Italian. I talk over things, so uh, don't take it as a personal rude insult. If you start talking, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. It, it's, just, it's just me. Um, okay, so oh, Trump and job losses. Uh, he had that graph about how in May of 2020 he has this huge job gain. He, he puts out that graph about, like, the different, you know, the ups and downs and stuff. April in 2020 had the largest job job loss in U.S. history, just the largest. It's like when you have the top three job losses in all of history, he's in there. Now, I'm not one for a huge fan of Biden. Ask Dan. I mean, I'm, I'm liberal, progressive, but I'm like, I'm like, grr, Biden is not enough for me. Um, Basically, so he says F Biden, too. He curses out yeah, Biden I, I just about as much Biden. as he curses out Trump. Exactly. So, but I also – so one of the things is I am a firm believer in don't blame the people even you can't stand for crap they have no actual control over. Now, Biden's impact on crime has as much impact as 
Trump technically had over that job loss. A global pandemic hit, knocked everything out of commission. And yeah, I mean, there was the whole thing about him like misleading the country about, um, you know, the, the potential devastation. And he says it was to protect us, to keep us from panicking. But he also said it's about the numbers. So there's a level of accountability there. Um, but the, the pandemic was going to hit regardless. That's why the CEO of Disney stepped down. He saw the writing on the wall. He's like, I got to get out of here. He put somebody else up to take the fall for the massive losses of income that Disney suffered. But I digress. Ultimately, that job loss was going to hit no matter what. So to say that Biden is responsible for the crime increase that is happening, which, by the way, isn't, isn't quite the numbers you say it is, and out of the top 20 uh, highest crime rates in the country, the majority of them are actually in red cities. Um, when you go by per capita, when you go by just numbers, the big cities like New York, Chicago, and Dan, Liberal Dan has gone on this several times on his show before, uh, by pure volume, by pure numbers, these big, giant, highly densely populated cities have much higher numbers because there's so more people in them. But per capita, you are much more likely to get murdered in a small town in Tennessee than you are in Chicago, just per capita. That's, that's an actual rate. Um, but Biden's impact on this is, is about as accountable as Trump's actual impact on the job loss. I hate them both. Uh, I hate Trump way more than I hate Biden because uh, Biden sometimes does things that I like because he's kind of leftish to me. Um, but yeah, holding him accountable for that is just is just silly. And as far as there's only one more thing that I wanted to comment on, it's more of a, it's more of a question because you say we should get the government out of things, we should get the government out of schools. Um, and make it more like, you know, private sector and all that. How many CEOs have the public elected? How many CEOs the public has elected? Well, the general public should not be electing CEOs. What do you mean by that? I don't understand. Uh, I mean, if you well, shop no, I mean, at Walmart, I just, then you, I guess you helped elect the CEO of Walmart. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what okay, you mean so, by that. So, like, we're... So you, you definitely agree that, like, probably zero, unless you count, like, the the public poll that Musk just took about whether or not he should step down or not, that might count as us unelecting a CEO. Um, but for the most part, the public doesn't. So the government is for the people, of the people, and by the people. So we elect people. So CEOs and private sectors and private schools who are run by private interests aren't really serving us, the public, and benefiting us, the public. They're benefiting themselves with whatever they want. Certain things, certain things for the people, of the people, by the people. Education serves us better when we get to actually take part in it more directly. Not to say that there aren't private schools that actually have, you know, student uh, uh, parent involvement and stuff like that, but they don't have to. Mm -hmm. They're not required to. They're not obligated to. And I'm on a two-faced part, two-part thing, and you may or may not agree with me on this one. I think for the most part, government shouldn't get in the way of business for the most part. But I also believe when business proves that they cannot be trusted and they do things like crash the economy, crash the housing market, crash the banking system, that is when the government should step in and say, you know what? You lost your privileges. We need to regulate the hell out of this 
for well, X the amount of years. Hang on, hang on, excuse me, hang on. The government does the, co- the government. The government is not the first. Well, are you, you're confusing the Federal Reserve with the government. The Federal Reserve is really is what institutes monetary policy that really does the booms and busts of the of the economy in America. The central bankers. Uh, through the fractional reserve banking schemes that they have, that, I mean the money, you know, modern money mechanics. They don't, you know, understand that or not. But that, that's really the Federal Reserve that really controls the, uh, the 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 economy. Now, the policies that are implemented by our politicians are are, are the restrictions that are are suppressed upon us, the people, uh, and, and we suffer from those. The Federal Reserve oh, yeah. is really. Uh, <laughs> I definitely agree with that. Them. I'm just kind of using the monetary aspect of it because that seemed to be kind of like a, a point of like how things hit financially. Um, but in terms to policy, that just just when the corporation does something that environmentally screws us up, when they deliberately hid uh, the effects of medications that cause like massive heart attacks and tons of people like. Thank Pfizer for making the vaccines and all that stuff, but also the heck with Pfizer for hiding and covering up so many hundreds of patients' deaths they knew about. Just stuff like that. Government needs to regulate things when companies screw up and harm the public. I think that's when government needs to step in, and I think that the state of most corporations right now have proven the companies don't care about the people. And I mean, that's the the problem with end-stage capitalism is – it is all about the short-term money game. If companies cared more about the people than the public and keeping people alive and happier and all that stuff and paid better, if I got paid more money, I would spend more money in stores. If I get paid less money, I've got less money to spend. So it's a fact of pay more people more money, and yes, costs go up a little bit, but also much more flowing of money, but short-term cost goes up. I think that The problem with deregulating things, and Trump was heavy into deregulating, is it takes the people's ability to vote for policy change on how these giant massive corporations that are all congealing together, and we have have less ability to vote with our dollars now because – you don't like a show, you can't boycott Disney because Disney owns three quarters of all like TV, not literally three quarters, but you know what I mean. Uh, you want a different cell phone service, you th- you've got three telecom companies now. You can't really vote with your dollars to the same extent that we used to be able to anymore. That level of interactive dollar democracy is basically being stripped, and without some level of us being able to have policy to interact over that, which policy equals government – We have no other way to rein in control when these companies do bad things, and we can't just trust that they have our best interest in heart. I don't trust the government has our best interest in heart all the time either because you don't get elected for thinking about everyone else all the time. A lot of people, you get elected because you're thinking about yourself. A lot of politicians are like that. But I trust the government just a little bit more than I trust the corporations. Especially, the and let me throw well, in my well, two cents. Okay. Wait, well, let, let me throw tr- my two cents there real quick, okay. just because I wanted to add something to what he said there. Because take for example the Macondo um, oil well disaster, the 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 the, the uh, explosion of the oil ring in the Gulf that killed 11 people, um, and it was really harmful to the industry of like seafood industries of Louisiana, other people living on the Gulf Coast. Um, when they went did it, went and did the investigations, and Obama put a moratorium on new drilling in the Gulf you know, until they could figure out what was going on um, and conservatives cried foul. It turned out that these people, like they, they all kind of submitted the same disaster emergency response plan as like, you know, Chevron and, and, and BP and um, Exxon, Shell, 
all of these big oil companies have all submitted um, disaster plans on what you would do and who you would contact in the event of a uh, who would you contact in an event of a disaster? And all of them listed the same person, and that person was dead. Um, and then it turned out that you know the oil disaster. What could have happened? And those eleven lives could have been saved uh, had the BP decided to put in like I think maybe a, a part that was maybe two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, or maybe it was even fifty thousand dollars. I don't know. It was an expensive part, you know, looking at for the for when we look at things, but. You know, that if they would have just spent that a little bit more money uh, for the safety of the people who worked for them and the safety of the people or of the, of the security of the jobs of the people around them, um, they, you know, we could have avoided that disaster. Um, and when, it, when these companies act like this, they prove that they can't be trusted. And as such, the government needs to take proactive steps to make sure that they're dotting all their I's and they're crossing all their T's. And they're making and they're and they're actually doing what needs to be done to protect the people around them. Again, an ounce of pre- prevention is worth a pound of cure. And sure, you can't stop everything ahead of time. And there, you know, there should be enough of a legal threat that these corporations and that the people that run these corporations are going to have to suffer financially if they don't do the right thing. But currently, there's not because we have conservatives who are trying to who have tried to have successfully um, capped lawsuits, capped the amount of money that you can gain by, by suing somebody civilly. And also you have, you have this corporation, you know, art, artificial corporation thing that allows p- these people to just make money hand over fist and not worry about all of the issues. And then, you know, let the company die. They have their golden parachute. They make their tons of money because, again, and, you know, everyone worries about the short term because in the long term, everyone's dead. So that's why we need more. And we need, we need it to come from the federal government because a, a city is not going to be able to, to be able to regulate a big, giant old corporation like Shell or Energy. A city's okay. not going to be able okay. to do it. Well, a right. state's well, not going to be doing it. The federal has to do it. Go ahead. All right, federal regulation. Despite the prevalence of small business, the Chamber of Foundations review of the literature finds that the federal regulations and their infrastructure are growing and have a disproportionate impact on small businesses and free enterprise in America. Federal regulations alone are estimated to cost the American economy as much as $1.9 trillion a year in direct costs, lost productivity, and higher prices. The costs to smaller businesses with 50 employees or fewer are nearly 20% higher than the average for all firms. The rising burdens of federal regulations come amid a falling pace in new business formation. In 1980, for instance, Americans were creating some 450,000 new companies. In 2013, they formed 400,000 new firms. Despite a 40% increase in the population, our three-decade slump in firm formation, excuse me, in firm formation fell to its lowest point with the onset of the Great Recession, even with more businesses being born today, America's uh, startup activity remains below pre-recession levels. Now, that's the federal regulations. State and local regulations are also a growing burden uh, uh, also. Uh, beyond the federal level, small businesses have to deal with a maze of red tape from state and local governments to start a business, apply for a business or occupational license, hire employees, pay taxes, enforce contracts, and even 
close a business, regulatory complexity is guessed by a thousand cuts to Americans, America's small businesses. This problem is compounded by an estimated 90,000, excuse me, 90,106 state and local governments in the United States as of 2012, each with their own varied authority to proclamate rules and regulations. Their rules and complexity continue to harm America's small businesses. As a part of the Chamber Foundation's research, uh, we surveyed chamber officials in states across America. These local Chamber of Commerce leaders, many of whom work on Main Street, agreed that regulations are stifling businesses. Indeed, some would not recommend small business locate in their region due to its its business environment. You know, uh, so regulations and licensing uh, and government in the private sector is putting a stranglehold on on, on our uh, small business and our economy. Our small businesses create a majority of our jobs uh, in, in uh, this co- our country today. And I believe, and, and the facts and the numbers don't lie, that without with with less regulation, less licensing creates uh, a better economy for, for you, me, and everyone. Uh, I, I mean, think and Trump me and Dan's was ab- advocating that. You What's just proved me in Dan's point. So in 1980, uh, 1980, who, when did Reagan become president? Was it 81? In 1980. He became president. He was inaugurated in 81. Okay. So in, yes, in 1980, yes, the economy was at a certain point and things were working in certain ways that the economy was very, it was thriving, right? So starting after the policies of Reaganomics, the deregulations, the, the cutting of union jobs, job protections, and all that stuff, the, when the ratio of worker pay to CEO pay started, the wealth gap started exploding, stuff started getting bad. Uh, so you got problem number one. So 1980 being when things are really, really good and now being things really, really bad, that kind of proves the point that um, conservative policy, not, not that great. We're still feeling the pain from, from those big explosions. The other thing is you're saying that a lot of business owners are saying that the, the environment is hostile for business owners. But the thing is business owners now are not, are not the same as business owners in 1980. They're griping about having to pay their employees. Well, hang on a second here. In 1980, I said, it, hang on, hang on. In 1980, yeah. Americans were creating 450,000 new companies. In 2013, yeah. they formed 400,000 new firms, despite a 40% increase in population. So, so that, that's, that's terrible. That's, that, 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 that's, uh, that, that, that's, those numbers yeah. are staggering. Um, we're we're creating less companies, you said, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, small business, yeah. so small creating, business, small business. That's what you mean. So, well, so can I, I'll, I'll jump. Let me jump in on that. Let me jump in on that. Sorry. Let me jump in on that because um, a lot of it is because of economies of scale. When you have these corporations, you know, forming like bigger and bigger and bigger, and 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 forcing small mom and pops, mom and pop shops out of the market, simply because of the fact that you know they can handle the economies of scale better. And so it becomes much more expensive to enter the market. That's one of the reasons why you're going to see um, less, less business to try and compete because they're not going to be able to compete with a Walmart like on prices. So they have to maybe do something that's a little more niche and something that's going to basically say, okay, I'm going to pay for these higher prices because I get some other type of service that comes along with it that makes it worthwhile for me to buy those products from those people. Uh, so, so part of the problem is not, it's not necessarily regulation. It's the fact that you have these big corporations that, you know, deal with the economy. Now, 
I'm when it comes to regulations, you know, I'm not going to say all regulations are good. There, there are some regulations that are stupid. Um, I've seen some of the stuff like on taxi companies and rideshare, you know, vehicles that that you know, because I was in that industry for a little bit, um, that are really ridiculously stupid um, and and don't shouldn't be in place and are harmful to people who are just trying to make a living. Uh, but there are also many of, of regulations are that are good, and, and regulations are not bad because they're there. They're not good because they're there. Each one has to be taken within the environment in which it's, it's implemented. Um, I'm all for looking into how um, how regulations have a disproportionate impact on smaller businesses when it comes to their ability to enter the market, when it comes to their ability to make a profit, ability to compete in the market. That's fine. We can do that. And if, if we can improve our regulations in such a way that enable us to be able to make it so that smaller businesses are, are, are not disproportionately affected by the rules, then we should absolutely do so. But one of the things to consider is that sometimes these small companies are not really small companies. Uh, take, for example, Edison Schwest is a company down here in Louisiana, deals with oil and shipping and stuff like that. Um, each boat. Well, I was pointing out businesses with 100 employees or less. That's what I was pointing out. That's, that's what was right, classified right. Well, as small business. Less, I was but, not, you know. Edison Schwest is a big overall company, but each of its ships are a corporation. Each of its ships are, is, is in and of itself a small business, incorporated in and of itself. With, so each, even though these ships are doing business, you know, as a small for a big, large umbrella of a company of Edison Schwest, they're still small business. They're still counted under this whole idea of a small business. They have different tax ID numbers. They have you know different you know articles of incorporation for each one. Uh, if if one of these ships ends up crashing in to somebody else's boat or into a pier or something, it doesn't hurt Edison Schwest. It hurts just the corporation that is that ship. So, well, let's you know, look at the policies of. Well, let's 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 look at the policies of today because that's one we started off as. You know, because the Trump, the Trump is the big thing. You know, again, Trump, Trump, because you were very hard on Trump and vice versa, back and forth between the economy and racial issues. Right? That's the big thing with Trump: racial issues. And and I didn't really finish my point earlier. Trump increased funding for historically black colleges and, and universities. Uh, by more than 14%. Uh, the First Step Act uh, provides rehabilitative programs to inmates, helping them successfully rejoin society and not return to crime. Um, you know, uh, and it's true, the First Step Act uh, calls for the Bureau of Prisons to significantly expand these opportunities. Uh, uh, but because of a lack of funding, around 25% of people who spend more than a year in federal prison have not completed any program, according to the Brennan uh, Center for Justice, uh, which backed the bill. But, but you look at all the lives uh, uh, and uh, that Trump impacted by that uh, First Step Act, uh, that that really was focused on minorities and, and and again racist. Trump's a racist. How? What did Biden do? What was Biden's thing? Get the tough on crime uh, during his fifty years and reign in office, fifty years in public in a public uh, office. And what has he done for the minority community? You know, uh, uh, we go back to you know his policies. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, how is Trump a racist? I mean, how have, is that they, defining a racist? Look, there, there are so many things that I've been critical on Trump on, so I'm going to be honest here. There is more to the HBCU thing than just, you know, yes, he got more money in, in this particular action, but there was another action that kind of offset it. Um, I'm not finding it right now. I have to go back and dig it up where it was. So I'm just going to say at the moment I can't find it. 
Um, I, I'm, 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 it's going to take me too long. Well, the reduction of lack of unemployment I know. Is, is a misleading well, not even, number. It's not because... even that. It was, it was, it was, there was something else. Like, yes, it did one thing that made it look like he was increasing funds, but the other thing that wasn't really talked about by the conservatives um, kind of nuked the rest of it. So it, it was it, it was almost like a wash. It was a money uh, shift. The First Step Act reforms, uh, wait a second, the First Step Act ref, uh, reforms addressed inequities in sentencing laws that disproportionately harmed black Americans and reformed mandatory minimum, uh, minimums that created unfair outcomes. That's a fact. We all know that. I mean, that's well, one of the major issues in Biden was against that. I was talking about the HBCU issue, but again, when was that passed? That was 2018. Right. Okay, so, okay, first, let me just pull it up. Also, how many people overall... Doing a couple of non-racist things doesn't negate racism, though. Right, exactly. I'm well, I'm, I'm just saying, show. though, is, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm just saying that that was the big talk, is he's the racist, he divides the country. I mean, uh, you know, and I just can't see that. Why would a president do these things if he's a racist? You know, a racist a, is, is not going to do these things. He called a yes. gold star family a family of potential terrorists because they were from well, so a what? Muslim country. Uh, that's not that doesn't define him as a racist. And so what if he wanted Muslims? Muslims. Uh, uh, he wanted to uh, uh, put restrictions on Muslims coming from countries that have supported and funded terrorism. No, 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 no. I mean, surely you have on. some sort of vetting process. That's not what he What's campaigned that? on. What he campaigned on was a total and complete ban of Muslims entering this country. That's what he he didn't completely temporary ban, on, not permanent. Right, but until we figure out what's going on. So, uh, well, a indefinite ban, I think, is a better way to put it. Until we figure out what's going on, who knows when we would figure out what's going on? But well, his, but that the, is one if, of the federal if, government's if jobs. Said, <laughs> if Donald Trump would have said, "I you want know. to implement a policy like President Obama did and stopping immigration from." These countries that are supporting uh, known terrorist activities around the world, I wouldn't have said a peep about it. I would have been like, hey, that's cool. I'm fine with that. Let's move on to the next subject. So but that's just because he, he said, said those countries were Muslim and Obama didn't makes him a racist. No, no, no. No, it, it's <laughs> yeah, not no, because – no. It's, it's, no, it's, it's not that. It's because he wanted to – it's because he wasn't, he wasn't pointing out those specific – he didn't say, I want to ban Muslims. I want to ban people from entering this country – from those Muslim-controlled countries, from countries that are controlled by Muslims that are also supporting domestic terrorism. Exactly. He said, he said all Muslims, period. He didn't put any caveats on which country they were coming on. It could be a Muslim coming from England. It could be a Muslim coming from France. It could be a Muslim coming from, back from vacation who was an American citizen because it wasn't, you know, there, were, there was a concern that there, were, there was an American interpreter, I think, who was a Muslim person who wasn't a citizen, but he was a legal resident of the United States, who was not going to be let back into the country because of Trump's implemented policy, even though it, and because, again, even, even the policy he implemented targeted people who were not, shouldn't have been targeted. Um, but, you know, let me talk about when I criticize oh. Trump. Yes, I, I think you, while I do believe that Trump is a bigot and, and certain, act, you can, you can cherry pick actions that, that in a vacuum don't sound bigoted. That doesn't, again, as Demonok said, you don't, it doesn't eliminate the other actions that were bigoted. Like, for example, uh, was it Kushner, his son-in-law, who he hired, um, basically was suggesting as a policy uh, suggestion that we uh, 
we don't do anything about the COVID in, in, in the blue states and just allow those people to die off to give them an electoral advantage. Uh, Can I but, get some actual but, factual data on racism, like numbers and dates? Sure. So 1973, uh, Trump and his corporation were essentially – they found evidence that they were deliberately refusing to rent to black tenants, lied to black applicants about whether or not apartments were even available, and uh, 1980s – No, uh, those Browner, apartments were in predominantly black neighborhoods, and, uh, and he was refusing to rent to them, and they just happened to be black applicants. So mm-hmm. therefore, if they refused to rent to those people in that particular neighborhood because there were specific reasons why – why they could not rent to those tenants at that time because the buildings had serious code violations automatically to the fact that he's not renting to black Americans, so therefore he's a racist. 1980. You know, I mean. 1989, okay. the Central Park Five. 1991, uh, the uh, what black about, Central, what about the Central Park Five? What? What about the Central Park Five? Hang on. What, what, do, you, what do you mean? I, I, don't, I don't know what happened. What are you saying? Uh, the two-page letter that Donald Trump wrote to the Times to the to the uh, New York Times complaining about the fact that the Central Park Five were exonerated because he was insisting that they still must be guilty despite the fact that um, you know that they were exonerated and they were found to be not guilty. Yep. Well, I don't know the specifics of that one case, yep. but you know, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> 1991, and quote from him, black guys counting my money, I hate it. The only kind of people I want counting my money are short guys that were, y- y- I can't pronounce Yamakus. that, y- Dan, you know Yamakus. the work. Yamakus. Every day. Oh, Yamakus, I, I yes. just never knew it was spelled that way. Okay, I think that guy is lazy, and it's probably not his fault because his laziness is a trait in blacks. It really is. I believe that. And this is a quote that came tri- from Donald Trump, you're saying. This is a quote that yeah. Donald 100%. Trump himself said, not, not a reporter that interpreted it. No. Okay. Well, I guess that I literally quoted it. It's it's like so he might just be the kind of person like I don't like Kanye. Kanye says racist stuff and it's dangerous. Trump might be have that weird thing where he has no brain to mouth filter and maybe he doesn't intend or think about the stuff that he's saying or maybe he doesn't perceive it to be racist or whatever. But the impact is the problem. And and even if I pretended that a lot of these things were just, you know, kind of off the cuff or like as they excused his uh, really derogatory sexual comments as locker room talk, when you campaign on it, when you make your policy dog whistling to things like going after the Mexicans coming over from Mexico, even if he's going, well, I'm going to make a policy that's going to make it harder for the bad people to come in and make it easier for the good people to come in, he campaigns on the fear that the bad people are coming from Mexico. He campaigns on the fear and the hatred of the, of the Muslim people. And racism and bigotry are two different things. Bigotry is the belief, uh, the personal hatred belief, or that, that's a bigotry. Racism is a system of oppression. It's, it is the aspect, it is the, the outcome. And by Donald Trump being a racist, it is because he is a person who is implementing racist policy. He is He's helping racial... No, whoa, 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 racist policy. Hang on. You just said it right there. Okay, well, that's aside from comments. You said implemented racist policies. What racist policies did he implement? Racist policy can have anything to do with economic points to uh, redlining, which, you know, obviously redlining way before, but he did have a, uh, a lot to do with uh, uh, realty. Huge thing in realty. So racist policy impacts... Like, not whoa, 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 hang policy. on. Again, <laughs> what policies, while pre- as president of the United States of America, did he implement or try to implement oh, okay. that so were racist? Actually, weirdly enough, 
the Muslim ban, which keeps changing the name from, if you compare the countries that were banned to the country that he wanted to put the ban on to the countries that the people were actually coming from, they were not the same. There was actually, uh, and I wish I had the map in front of me right now, um, but there was a substantial difference of a number of countries that if he was actually concerned about terrorism, he would have banned them, but he didn't, and countries that were blocked that weren't. And I got... I don't have the Google in front of me, but like, that's just one of them. Kids in cages, really screwed up. So when you come over the border and you're requesting amnesty, you have to be in the United States to be allowed to request that. It's actually, it's, it's part of our laws, but we're supposed to allow you in, see if you qualify. And then if you don't, then you go back. Preventing people from being allowed to cross in order to ask for amnesty is actually is kind of against our laws, um, but well, based specifically well, well, on their country of origin. Like, we didn't have a Canadian border. The country that Trump wanted to ban, you said you didn't have the map up. Hang on, you said you didn't have the ban up. He wanted to ban Muslims coming from Venezuela, and it wasn't just Muslims. It was all citizens coming from there at the time. And then and then there was a strenuous, strenuous look and vetting process on Muslims, okay, and that was Libya. Syria, Iran, Yemen, Somalia, and North Korea. I would say those countries, pretty much a lot of the leaders there don't like us. And, and they sponsor, you know, terrorist, terror, terrorism. So therefore, the people coming over there, from there, at the time, he had to put a temporary ban. Now, I know you call it a However, permanent ban, but surely nothing's permanent in America. I Trump mean, you know, everything can be looked at, reviewed. Used to well, I said it was indefinite. I said it was indefinite because there was no, there was no set you know, time and place where, where it was yeah. going to end. It was just a, a hypothetical when we figure out what's going to go on. Yeah. So, uh, and, and, and don't forget the Supreme Court upheld the administration's travel ban too, five to four. So, is, so is the Supreme Court all racist too? I mean, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> so, sure, you, know, the, you know, I mean. There's racist problems, obviously. I mean, it's, it raises everybody has their own internal racism. Like every single person in the world, whether we want to admit it or not, we all have it. So yeah, there there is some people just a lot more than other. The difference between the Trump's ban and previous bans were there was no redesignation. People were trapped. Uh, it was basically just rapidly thrown out there. The map was redrawn three different times. I believe it was it was the second or the third one that the Supreme Court upheld because the first one or two were just not good. Um, well, they were, they were well, let's look at some of these countries that he banned this. Hang on. The reason why he banned Syria, this was the reason the majority were Muslim, a restriction most Syrian nationals will be barred from entering the U.S. Reason, failure to cooperate with the U.S., including public safety and terrorism-related information. I think that's a pretty good reason. You know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, so, I mean, that's just one country, Syria, right there. I mean, you're looking at national security. You're looking at the security and safety of this country, which is the president's job, one of the jobs that they're supposed to be doing, the federal government, actually. You know, Why is um, there a so Mexican I, border to protect us from terrorism and drugs, but no Canadian border? When most of the drugs come into the country from uh, airplanes. Well, how many cartels, how many Canadian cartels are there in Canada that, that, that are kidnapping people and beheading them and shipping tons of cocaine from the border of Canada? Do you know of any? Can you name any Canadian cartels? Do you, do you have to be a Canadian no. cartel in order to, in order to, to cross the Canadian, Canadian border Canadian. into America? He, he, asked me, he, he asked me a reason. Why was there, is there a ban on the Mexican border and not Canada? Well, like I said, Canada doesn't have any cartels. 
the majority of drugs come in through airports, not trucks. Mm, Labor no, trucks. I don't think so. And both. And I even if the so. Biden administration has stopped more drugs from coming into this country than the Trump administration. There, there, that is a, a number. Because that more drugs, in. because more people are coming over the border. So more, there's going to be more stops and more seizures. If, I, if only 1,000 oh. people come over the border during Trump's well, administration, but then 10,000 come over during Biden's, obviously there's going to be more arrests and is more Is that really because there are more people coming over right? the border, or is it really because Trump, like, look, Here's, remember during – I wanted to get this, to this point, Andrew, so let's make this point now because remember when, when Trump said okay. to Woodward that he downplayed the threat of COVID um, because he, he like he basically – Trump always likes to sugarcoat things. He likes to whitewash them. He likes – Donald Trump doesn't want to – he doesn't want people to see like the real numbers because of how the, quote, optics will, will make him look. So he wanted to slow down testing because if you, if you have more testing, you have more cases, even though there's just as many people – if you had zero testing or everyone tested, there would be just the same amount of people who were being who were sick. So why would I why wouldn't I believe that Trump didn't act the same way on the border? Trump wouldn't necessarily want to stop as much drugs from coming off the border because he, then he'd have to report that more drugs were crossing the border. Trump's policies dealt more with dealing with the low hanging fruit of like the people who were maybe here in violation of our border policies, but yet not doing anything else wrong. Like he, he was going out, oh, look, I can get these people and kick them out, and I can get these people and kick them out, you know. But, you know, that, that, was, that was his, like, oh, this, this is for show. This is, this is showing them that I'm doing all this stuff. But I don't believe for a second that Donald Trump wanted to stop more drugs from crossing the border because if he stops more drugs from crossing the border and, and, and caught them, then he would have to report that, and then people would say, oh, we'll do what they're doing with Biden right now and saying, oh, well, Biden has stopped all these. So therefore, it, it's, it's, it's confusing causation and correlation. If, if, That's if, the same if with Biden the police is, report number, actually, that he just gave earlier um, about well, how many cops I, I don't know if anybody uh, – if you don't mind, I don't know if there's anybody on my end on my platform right now that maybe want to ask a quick question of you. I'm not sure if there is. Uh, put your hand up, guys, because I do have an open board here, or if there's a, a – I think there's a 914 number that might want to ask. I'm not sure if Joe is. Joe, are you out there? Or if, or if I don't know if my friend I also Dr. have somebody else. Dr. I think, I, think I might have an idea of who this person yeah. is who's waiting on hold for about 12 minutes now. He might be my okay, friend from Atlanta. Sure. Let, me, let me bring him on real quick and, and, okay, and sure, see if that's my friend sure. from Atlanta. Am I right? Is that you? Uh, I'm not from uh, Atlanta. No, okay, sorry. all right. There you go. Fine. Okay. <sighs> okay that was cool. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> You right, can let them so on if you your, want. I mean, if they want to ask a question. So what's your name? I mean, Where are you from? What what's your question? My, my name is John. I'm from uh, Connecticut. So my, my, I guess my question is, why, all the, why do we have to fight so much about this stuff? My name is John. I'm from, and, uh, like, you know, like, like, let's be real. Like, it, it's, it's the holiday season. Can we not uh, just get along a little bit more? Uh, I mean, I'm having fun. Thank you for calling. I'm going to hang up. We're having a discussion. Well, I'm hanging up. I'm hanging up because of the fact that there was a lot of feedback coming in, and I'm also very leery of accepting phone calls from people who I don't know because there's the fact that the people who uh, there have been people who called in. There might have been a kicker in there. They they might have. I was expecting a a N word or C word or something else that happened. Like the voice, the voice sounded very similar to the like some of the people that called in before. Anyway, but if, if it was a legitimate question, then fine. I mean, we aren't getting along. I mean, this is, I think, our best conversation that we've had, even though we disagree on everything almost. Um, 
I yeah. think it is we're having a good, reasonable <laughs> yeah. I, conversation. I mean, I mean, it's been good. I mean, I agree. We disagree, but oh. it, it's been civil. It's been cordial. We 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 clearly disagree on a lot, but um, we do. It's clearly disagree on a lot of policies. Um, but I think we are getting along. I'm more than welcome anybody on your, on your side of the, if she wants to call in either number and say, hey, um, ask this question. I, I've been very bad at, at reading questions from my chat room because it's been scrolling and we've been talking. But I do kind of want to go back okay. to the, to the, to the I, I, point well, that i Give I'm, a shout out. If you can, give a shout out of your chat room and your number, please, for my listeners, if you don't mind. Uh, just so they can maybe connect because uh, I don't know how much more time I got on my podcast show here but uh, before they start bouncing off my callers. But I do have a board here full. So if you want, I don't know if anyone's pressed one or they want to talk, interact uh, with the liberal Dan here or have a question, uh, do so politely. Um, or, or, Dan, if you want to give your, your plat- platform a, a quick uh, shout out here on my platform more than welcome to go ahead yeah i mean i guess you know just the show reset i guess you know liberal day and radio talking about that's right wednesdays 8 p.m central blog talk radio.com slash liberal dan or liberal dan radio on youtube uh support the show patreon.com slash liberal dan come subscribe to the channel too and do you have a youtube channel joseph I don't, I don't, I don't actually right now. Uh, okay. It's Gibson Media that I do have on my blog, on my podcast, and uh, uh, you know I'm uh, actually a candidate here in North Carolina. I'll be running here in North Carolina for in my district for the uh, House of Representatives uh, in the next coming. I w- in the last primary I ran, I'll be running again as a Republican candidate. So uh, here in uh, uh, Rockingham County, North Carolina. All right. Well, there you go. But very cool um i always i write profits too i i was not successful but you know it happens it is what it wait I'm, i I usually want to say it is what it is i'll let donald say it so hold it on. is what it is thank you donald <laughs> um i'm a leftist liberal so i'm going to like uh fake vote for you i'm just gonna i promise you i'm gonna break voting law and vote for you <laughs> so, but, but let's let's go back to the whole wood thing because right. i did want to bring this up do you think it was responsible uh, for Donald Trump, when Donald Trump said to Woodward that he downplayed the threat of COVID, like i.e., like he was basically saying he to to the public that it's fine, it's like the flu, but to Woodward he was like, this is terrible. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. It's it's horrible. Like, do you think that was responsible of him? Do you think that that was him being a good leader? I, I, the way he handled the whole COVID thing, I disagree with, and, I, and it's one of the things that I do disagree with his uh, uh, administration, the way he did handle it. Uh, so I have to agree with you on that. Uh, but for, for one of the issues, uh, he handled it all wrong, the whole entire COVID uh, 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 so-called scandemic, I like to call it, because I, uh, we, we, I don't want to get into a whole thing about the virus and the pandemic. But, you know, I believe that uh, a lot of things were wrong. There's a lot of unanswered questions with the vaccination process, the wearing the face diaper uh, that doesn't protect you i think fauci is a is a is a liar and he's a criminal uh and uh, probably should be brought up on charges uh for the lies that he told the american people and uh, the way trump handled the uh pandemic yeah i agree with you he handled it wrong well we ha- well, well we agree that he handled it wrong we disagree on the reasons why he handled it wrong um now like with fauci like a lot of times i find conservatives will say that Fauci lied because Fauci said one thing in April and then he said another thing in June and he said another thing in August. Um, but a lot of that's how science works sometimes. Like as, as we learn more information about a particular thing, like in April in, in the letter that he wrote or the email that he wrote, he basically said he didn't see a purpose in wearing um, a cloth mask at this point in time. 
you know, to, to, to prevent the spread. But in that letter, he also said that maybe an N95 or, or he didn't want the N95s used because he wanted that to be used for the people in, in like first responders. But he also did say that, you know, perhaps wearing a cloth mask might, might help with the efficacy of preventing you from spreading it to other people. And then that changed later to we should be wearing a mask to, and a lot of times it's a misrepresentation of the, the masking policy or the masking recommendation. It was never really to, to defend the wearer from getting sick. There was some minor, there was some information that showed that there was some minor help with that, but it was always to help prevent the wearer from spreading it to other people. Um, but like, you know, with Trump, you know, Trump said in, in Tulsa where, you know, he killed Herman Cain, um, the, uh, the, um, well, you know, I mean, it was an irresponsible thing to be holding and, and, and still in the middle of a pandemic, but he wanted to slow down testing. You know, I, I think had we ramped up testing and we made a more aggressive testing policy where we went in and, and, and aggressively tested people to see where the virus was, where the hotspots were, we, did, we wouldn't have had to have done a massive shutdown nationwide of the country. We could have, we could have basically just done targeted shutdowns. Like, okay, the virus is in New Orleans and it's really bad in New Orleans, so we're going to shut down New Orleans for two weeks and we'll financially help the people in New Orleans for those two weeks. Okay, well, now the virus is, you know, but the virus has slowed down and, and the spread has been slowed down to a point where it's safe to go back out in these other areas so we don't have to shut down as long. I think the shutdowns would have been shorter, would have been more targeted, would have had a less, less of a harmful impact on the economy while being more effective in preventing the disease. But Trump didn't want, and, and, and this is like, if we ignore all of the things that I believe that he did, that, that he has done in his entirety of his lifetime that are bigoted and racist or whatever, if you ignore all those things, I think his failures in COVID should have been in and of itself enough to, to say that he shouldn't have been reelected. I mean, those, just ignoring everything else, his COVID response to, to me is why he should never have been reelected. Well, like you said, the, the COVID thing was a new thing, and nobody saw that coming. And, again, I don't want to get into a big COVID uh, discussion because I think it will take away from the Democrat-Republican policy failures uh, that, that I really wanted to discuss. But uh, the, the, I, I agree he handled it wrong, but, again, I don't think that should be the highlight of his presidency, why he should be not run again or should, not, or should have been impeached. I mean, uh, again, he had advisors around him that were advising him wrongly. She was one of them. Uh, I, I believe that there's a lot about this. This, this I call it the scamdemic. I mean, again, I, I, a lot of stuff has happened <clears throat> with this with this thing that has to be investigated, and there should be a lot of people held accountable for the way it was handled and what did happen and what actually is happening still today with the vaccines and the the uh, lack of uh, transparency and knowledge that's out there and really who is responsible for this was what was this a virus that was released uh uh by uh china or or some lab in china or what 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 happened let's get to the bottom of this there's so many unanswered questions and we're certainly not getting the truth from cnn or fox news uh so uh there's so much disinformation out there too so you have to be careful is there a virus out there that makes people sick i i, I guess the evidence out there yes but are the numbers true of course not. The numbers are a lie. I mean, there's so much evidence out there that proves that it, that it is. And why is it a lie then? Why are they lying about the numbers? So we have to get to the bottom of it. I mean, let's get to the facts here because people's lives are at stake. 
I mean, don't you agree with that? I mean, well, people's lives are at stake, and 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 sure, I'm fine with looking into everything. I, I don't I don't necessarily doubt. I, I think the numbers are probably I think the numbers are probably too low than too high because there are people who caught this before it was even like when we thought we had 13 people who were sick i'm there was more people who had it i probably had it in january of 2020 um they just didn't know how to test for it all all my doctor said was you have a virus that's not the flu um now let let me just say real quick area code 917 if you're in uh, my youtube chat please go ahead and uh, put your uh Put your put put that you're from area code nine one seven so I can know whether or not I'm going to accept your call or not um, to make sure I, make sure you're a safe person to pick up or not. Anyway, um, again, I don't, I don't believe it was a, a scamdenic. I mean, I was sick with it. Um, it was terrible when I was sick with it. I felt I felt horrible and I had a long cough afterwards um, because there was no there was no treatments for me at the time and then the next time i got it there was treatment and it was wonderful i i got i got healthy much more quickly because um the paxlovid even though it put a horrible taste in my mouth it 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 absolutely helped kick covid's ass in my system and not only did i get better quickly i also didn't have the same lingering cough as i usually do after respiratory infection so um you know i does that make it a scam? I mean, our, our, go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Well, I was just to say, like, I, I know we're going to the COVID thing. You didn't really want it too much. But um, I, I actually have a, a policy question that's kind of a throwback to an earlier comment that um, I am horrible with names, and I forget your names, but uh, the media guy um, said, yeah, but about media, the, the, the police. Jason. Okay. Um, policy thing about the the police increasing crime during the Biden administration. And let me preface this is a very, very, very short story. When I went to high school, we had people smoking in class. They appointed somebody to catch the students smoking. And suddenly we had more and more tickets. We give it in Sudbury, rich town. They, they handed out $100 tickets to students. Ridiculous, but it was to make a point. Nobody paid them. And they issued so many tickets that uh, it got noticed and got really bad attention. The local newspaper was like, look how many kids are smoking in the school. The numbers jumped up astronomically. They actually fired the guy because he was doing his job too well. Do you think that the increase in police uh, violence is an actual increase in event, or do you think it is an increase in reporting slash accountability or a combination of the two? I, I think it's a I think it's a combination of the two as tensions with the police and the public have gotten escalated, rising higher and higher. But I also think the additional attention the public is getting, combined with the crackdown as new policy gets made is going to lead to a higher number of incidents reporting. But I was just wondering how you, what you think uh, that. To answer your question, I think it's, it's of the two. But at the same time, I, the policy, you keep saying policy. Look, the police are out there to keep the peace. That's what their job is. They're not should be out there policy enforcing. We need less police in our lives, interacting with our lives in a negative way like they do. Okay? Like I said, with the prison situation, getting tough on crime don't work. And the Democrats' way of doing it doesn't is clearly not the way. Defund the police? That's completely an asinine, excuse my language, uh, way of looking at things to 
defund the police and put social workers out there to handle uh, situations like domestic calls and whatnot. Look, I put on a uniform as a security officer, and I can tell you right now, the attitude that the general public has in some areas of, of where I do security at shopping plazas and whatnot, the attitude that they have by viewing me wearing a uniform is, is despicable. Uh, automatically a negative or that, that, sir, you can't park there. Uh, it's a handicapped spot. You know, uh, why, why don't you leave me alone? You know, uh, you get that attitude. So I can see the police. They're up against a very tough general public out there that has a negative perception about them. Are there bad apples? There's bad apples in every single profession across America. Uh, farmers, there's bad apples. Police, there's bad apples everywhere. So what do we do? We're going to categorize the entire police force around this country right now that they're all bad and they're all racist and they're all shooting black people. That's false. That's the media's perception, and that's wrong. I mean, oh, these neighborhoods that have no jobs – What's that? Oh, no, I, I said absolutely. I, I agree on that aspect. Uh, I was going to say, um, I think the biggest racial problem that police have isn't necessarily that they start off that way so much as um, if you look at a lot of the training programs that they have, um, and there's these private companies, like uh, I forget what they call it, like Shield Heroes or something like that. There's a lot of things that they're trained to be trained in fear. Uh, if you've ever watched the videos of police fainting over what they're told is fentanyl, but it's not actually fentanyl, but they're passing out, and yet people are laughing at it. But they have been put to a point where they are so afraid that they are having adverse reactions and passing out because their training is that intense. And I think that yeah. uh, the increase in violence is, and the increase of paranoia it's not necessarily that an officer starts off bad. Um, there's an element of if you're, if you're the one conservative in a very liberal uh, workplace, you're going to start becoming slightly more liberal. If you're the one liberal in a conservative workplace, you're going to start becoming slightly more conservative. And I think the problem is the, the uh, historical us versus them police mentality culture combined with these these training things that like really want to go like gung ho hoorah type attitude. And uh, I, I know a couple of people that are cops and like my, my cousin's a cop and I give him heck for it all the time. Um, you know, cause my cousin, I'm allowed to, um, but there is a lot of, of um, there's a lot of impact. And I think, I think that's where big policy change needs to happen is bringing away from an us versus them. Cause I think the public trust has been broken and that's why we're getting a lot of, um, we're getting a lot of exposure to bad things happening. The, just the like confliction, the, the conflictive, the, hang on, the conflictive thing with policy, the Constitution. If we obey the Constitution, we got nothing to worry about. You know, all these, like again, policy enforcers, that's not what the police job. Yeah, and if they're trained to go gun ho out there and start pulling people over, harassing people, and profiling people, that's wrong. I agree with you 100%, and that can create tension and, un and, and unnecessary tension. And I'm all for the general public against a police force that acts like that towards – because, look, the, we are their bosses, and, 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 but we don't go around there saying, hey, I'm your boss, do this. No, but we have to have a mutual respect and understanding, and if we obey the Constitution, we can't go wrong. And like I said, they should be peacekeepers, keep the peace, not policy enforcers. Well, uh, but here's, here's also the thing about, about the bad apple comment. I, I was sitting on this for a little bit, but about the bad apple yeah. comment, um, you know, it, it's not and it's not the problem is not just the people that, you know, shoot, uh, use deadly force when they're not supposed to. It's not the people who who, you know, fire, you know, how many bullets into somebody when 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 only a certain amount were are, are, would, would have been needed. 
Um, it's about the, the, the other people who, again, who, who will use that whole thin blue line argument to, to protect the bad cops. Like there was, uh, there was a case where there was a woman police officer, I forget what city it was. She tried to do the right thing by turning in one of her fellow police officers before doing something that was bad. She got kicked out of the department because they couldn't, they couldn't quote, trust her anymore because she was, you know, she violated the whole thin blue line thing. You know, there are, there are, there are, there are other cases where you have, um, when you had um, Laquan McDonald, and the, only, and the reason I remember his name so easily is because he was shot outside of Burger King by the cops. Um, and the first thing that the police officers tried to do when they got there to the scene was not to ascertain was it a good shooting or not, but it was to try and confiscate all of the video from the surrounding establishments to make sure that there was no video available to, to indict their police officer, the police officer and the, or they, they were their first. That's tyranny. Right. Yeah. And there was, a, there was, what's the other one? There's, there was the one case in, I think it was New Jersey, and I forget this individual's name. Uh, the only reason he got off was because of a second vehicular dash cam, uh, because he was being, the cop was arguing, stop grabbing for my gun, stop grabbing for my gun, stop grabbing for my gun. Um, and so he was arrested for trying to uh, grab the gun and trying to assault the police officer then for resisting arrest. Well, it turns out the second police car came and the dash cam showed that he was doing nothing of the sort. There was no attempts to grab for the gun. And I, I was convinced before, before this happened, I was convinced after this happened, and then somebody else called in my podcast. Two, I've, I've talked to two people. Somebody else that I know was a police officer locally in the, in the New Orleans metropolitan area and also somebody else who called in from Florida who, who confirmed that police officers, non-officially, but they will tell the people who are cops as they're as they're coming up and you know and, and learning how to be a, a quote good cop uh, to always shout stop reaching for my weapon stop reaching for my weapon even if there's no evidence that they're reaching for the weapon because it gives plausible deniability when when it comes to a trial and they say oh well he thought he was reaching for his gun he is clearly shouting stop reaching for my gun so the use of deadly force must have been okay because he was trying to prevent himself and other people from being shot when in reality they're just yelling that to cover their own asses and it does sound like you agree on the fact that those things that i've just listed are terrible are examples of bad policing and but see it's not just a few bad apples who are who are doing the violence it's an entire systemic problem that's protecting the bad cops as well uh, I agree, and the qualified immunity thing. I don't. Uh, I don't agree with that. You know, they should not have uh, immunity for uh, everything. Look, you break the law. You, you again. You violate the Constitution. That's it. You're in trouble. Just because you wear a badge does not give you per, per, uh, special privileges to do anything. Now, I do believe that the, we should respect uh, uh, the uh, police officers out there. I don't even like to call them law enforcement because I, I just don't like that because enforce, enforce. You know that 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 the, the attitude of uh, they're in charge. That's not, you know, we the people are in charge. But we also, with liberty, uh, comes responsibility and accountability. We have responsibility as citizens with our liberty. Doesn't mean we go around, you know, uh, uh, disrespecting police officers because they wear a badge. And like I was t- telling you, I wear a uniform. I, 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 I you know, I, that attitude, and I, and I see, I see that. And then it creates a confrontation, you know, and I have to, then me being responsible, wearing that uniform, I have to take the better step of trying to 
it de-escalate it and walk away. But at the same time, where do you draw that line? Where, where what happens when a confrontation comes about? You know, now it's the public versus the guy in the uniform. So yeah, it, it, it's a bad situation. You know, it's very. That's why education is key. And, and again, you have to look at all the surrounding elements of why something is happening. If you have a hundred people hanging around on a street corner doing nothing on a sat- on a Monday night, you know, why aren't they getting up to get ready to go to work the next morning? You know, then again, what's wrong with hanging around on, on a Monday night? You know, is this America free to do what you want? You know, so you got to look at it. You know, it, it's a complicated situation. These are answers and questions we have to ask ourselves within our own communities. You know, why are why are we not getting up for work the next because there's no jobs in the community. There's nothing to do. So what are they out doing? They're out hustling or, or gangbanging or doing whatever they're doing. So it has to be addressed. You know, and the policies of the Democrats across the cities of America and this country do not work. The 10 most violent cities in this country have been the 10 most violent cities in this country because of Democratic policies for years and years and years that don't work. But they, but blacks and minorities vote 90% of the time Democrat. Why? Why? Why not vote for who's right for the job? Okay. This, 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 well, uh, you know, I just disagree with that. Let me tackle that second part first, um, because, well, first of all, um, I think sometimes people cringe when you say blacks instead of black people. Um, so there's that. Um, but, you know, there's 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 probably a perception, first of all, for the I guess for the for the on the first part that it's not it's not the government policy that's that's affecting or that's causing the crime that it's more of the fact that these are these are people who are who are going to commit crimes regardless of who's in power and that may or may not be true i don't know but there are more issues than just crime that affect people um that that are going to make people say oh well i'm not going to i'm not going to vote for for republicans i'm going to vote for democrats um you go way back to 2000 the year in in 2000 um and then that election uh florida did a cast a wide net and uh disenfranchised many voters a uh, majority of whom were black voters because they were not they were supposedly voters that weren't supposed to vote but they didn't exactly match like okay well this person is is a former felon so therefore we're not going to allow this individual person they they basically banned a lot of or, or kicked a lot of people off the voter rolls um without any notification, without anything, and the majority, and again, the vast majority of them were black, and, it, and so that had a disproportionate effect, and that could have led to the difference in the Florida election, which could have swung the federal election overall. Um, you have circumstances like in North Carolina, this so-called voter ID bill, which had more information in it. Oh, somebody, somebody sent me a goodie. Uh, thank you, Aaron, for buying me a cider. Um, the... Uh, the um, North Carolina law that was so-called had, you know, voter ID laws labeled that because it's easy, because people love to make the argument, what's wrong with requiring a voter ID? Nothing. Um, although voter IDs doesn't, don't stop most election fraud that's out there, but there are other if, are items in these laws that have nothing to do with showing a voter ID um, as part of um, those laws that are included specifically to disenfranchise voters um, and typically those voters that are targeted are black voters. The North Carolina example, the reason the North Carolina law was ultimately thrown out was because when they went to eliminate different types of voting that they used to have in the state, what the legislator did was they looked at 
all of the different ways that people voted in the state and then eliminated only those that were utilized mostly by black people. So that's, that's targeting black voters with surgical precision, as the judge stated in that case, um, is what caused that law to be overthrown. When um, the uh, ridiculous Supreme Court ruling that overturned part of the Voting Rights Act um, that basically said, oh, well, these basically it was akin to, to, to us in New Orleans saying, well, that we haven't flooded from the Mississippi River, so we no longer need the levees. Um, these, you know, as soon as those those that those provisions were the preclearance part was was removed, um, the 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 states immediately ran to start trying to pass these laws that were meant to disenfranchise voters. You had the Georgia SB 202. Part of that rule, part of that law uh, that that was implemented was. Um, a ban on handing out bottled water to people in line to vote. Now, if, if so, if I, if I lived in Atlanta, Georgia, and my wife was waiting in line, and I wanted to bring her a bottle of water, I would not be able to do so, or else I would be co- committing a crime. Um, and, and that in and of itself, you're going to say, well, that's not racist because it affects everybody. But the implementation of it is, is that in Atlanta, or in Georgia as a whole, the white districts tend to be less populated, so there are less lines in, at the voting precincts. Um, meanwhile, the, the districts in the more urban areas, which tend to have, you know, majority black populations, uh, those, those lines tend to be much longer. And as such, these people are going to wait longer in line. And so the goal is to make it much, much, le- much less comfortable to be in line in the first place so that, so that, so that it works to help disenfranchise the vote. Um, so you ask why black people will, will, will 90% plus vote for the Democratic Party. It's because you're not seeing a targeted attempt by the Democratic Party to try and disenfranchise black voters. You're seeing that coming from the Republican Party. And you'll have people who are officials in the, in the Republican Party admitting that that's what they're doing. They're admitting, they say, if more people vote, we lose. They're saying if, if the higher if we have higher black turnout, we lose. So instead of changing their arguments to, to try and win over more people, or, or at least making their art, trying to make an argument in such a way that would attract more people to vote for, for the Republicans, say this is why our policy positions are good for the black community. They just try and they just say, oh, it's easier for us to stop to try and stop them from voting to try and disenfranchise them. And then they see that and be like, well, we're not going to vote for you. You know, they can make a conservative mayoral candidate or gubernatorial candidate could make the best argument in the world and and say, this is, this is the golden ticket on how we're going to end crime in your community. And the deaths of of black people or all people are going to plummet. Once we implement these, here's the empirical evidence to show it. Um, But they're going to say, Oh yeah, but you were trying to stop us from voting. So therefore we're not going to support you. So, but I don't believe that any conservative yeah. or candidate has that has that magic potion, has that magic formula that's going to end crime either. They just have other bad ideas that are not going to solve the problem that are instead just probably going to make it worse. And that's another reason why they're not going to vote for them because they see what conservative policies do in money areas, and why would they then believe that conservative policies on crime are going to be any better for them. Well, uh, 
again, you brought up a, a, a lot there, you know, the, the policies hurting black communities. Well, let me ask you a question. Where are all the abortion clinics in the, uh, uh, here, for instance, in here in North Carolina? Most of them are in the cities where the black population I was gonna is bring up abortion and I, was, I was going to bring that up, by the way. I was going to bring up the, argue, the bad argument about abortion, but go ahead. <laughs> I'll deal with that in a second. I was anticipating that, but I decided, no, he's not going to go there. He all right. But go ahead, and I'll, and I'll, I'll have a butt. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, you know, you have uh, where's all the liquor stores uh, in the black communities? You know, uh, uh, you know, you don't again, you know, so that's obviously they're targeting a population there. Uh, a policy. Why is that? Wouldn't that make you angry? I mean, uh, you know, if, if it was the, if the roles were reversed, it would make me angry. You know, well, why is that? You're killing my people. You know, so, I mean, I disagree with that. You know, um, so, again, you know, it, the policies of, of the Democrats and in the cities and their ideologies uh, are, are, are hurting the, the uh, blacks and Hispanic uh, communities across America. I mean, the number of the policies. But I, I started with abortion, so if you want to bring, go ahead and tackle that, go ahead. I'll let you go. I understand why conservatives make that argument, make the argument about abortion. Um, I haven't quite heard the liquor store one as well, but I understand, but it's the same kind of premise. I understand why y'all make that argument. It's because y'all believe in supply side economics. You know, if you build it, they will come. Um, the reason that these clinics will like Planned Parenthood or whatever abortion clinics will open in the neighborhoods that they open in is because that's where the demand for their services are. So, um, that, that's as simple as that. So if there's, if there is a demand for, um, a lot of liquor to be sold in a particular neighborhood, a liquor store is going to try and open up and, and, and get all the proper permitting and licensing or whatever, and sell to the people that I, I, I they don't want to true. sell to. I don't, I don't think that's true at all. There's a lot of white guys that drink beer on Sunday, watching football, you know, and I don't see, you know, on the back country road, I don't see the, the uh, beer store there. So I don't I think, think that's true. I think it's so we don't you want know, in our um, neighborhood voting. Just, just a guess. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that is well, there you go. the level of privilege to be in the suburbs and to have the money is you get to put the stuff you see as undesirable, undesirable in the locations that you uh, don't like as much. Um, I would, and, then, and in New Orleans, you don't necessarily. And in New Orleans, we don't see that that much because in New Orleans, we don't have real liquor stores. We we can sell any sort of alcohol that we want to in the grocery store. So where you, wherever the grocery store is, you can buy liquor wherever you want. So there's 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 that. Um, but I mean, I I mean, then again, you know, in in Baltimore, for example, um, where I'm originally from, you you do have you can't buy certain you can I think buy wine in grocery stores, but liquor and beer have to be bought in specific specifically licensed stores but those stores are in all sorts of neighborhoods there's there's one right down the street from my dad's house and my dad lives in a very white conservative gerrymandered district and very very white conservative area um so it, it, it they don't just exist in there but again i don't think that liquor store would have opened there had there not been a demand for that liquor store to be opened in that area um i don't i don't believe that Simply having a Planned Parenthood in a neighborhood is going to say, "Oh, well, now that I now that that's there, I'm going to have want an abortion." No, it, it's there because the people who are wanting the services and Planned Parenthood and other 
such clinics don't just perform abortions. They perform other services as well. Um, there's, there's actually, you know, they give out birth control pills and you have more birth control pills. You know, people have better access to oral contraception, better access to, you know, pregnancy prevention. There's going to be less abortions. And one of the examples of that is, let's say in Florida, uh, Jeb Bush partially defunded Planned Parenthood when he was governor. I think it was like in 2012. Um, I could have the date wrong, so don't come at me if, if I'm not exactly right on the date, but I think that's right. Um, from that point on in his, in his, in his tenure as governor of, of Florida, uh, abortion rates went up through the, rest, through the rest of his thing because they, people in his state, especially in rural areas, were denied preventive care um, and so that they were, they were, they didn't have access to the care that they might need to prevent abortions from taking place in the first place. On the other side of the coin, in Colorado, uh, they implemented a policy where everybody would have access to contraception, um, regardless of whether or not you had insurance. Because at the time, if you had insurance, contraception was supposed to be covered 100% first dollar, unless I guess you work for Hobby Lobby, um, which was a ridiculous ruling. But they prevent. They created the system where everybody could get free oral contraception, free. I think IUD as well if they wanted it. And what happened in while Hickenlooper was governor of Colorado is unwanted pregnancies dropped, and when un, unwanted pregnancies dropped, uh, abortions dropped. Liberal policies reduce abortions. Conservative policies increase abortions because it reduces access to care that you can ha- that you can get to prevent abortions. To pre- Unwanted pregnancies in the first place. I'm not sure about that one. Uh, you know, I mean, with, you know, the economic policies and the, the again, I pointed out some of the, the things that Trump did to uh, to help out the uh, uh, black Americans uh, with jobs and whatnot. The numbers are just uh, speak for themselves. But you know, look, the, the, but the bottom line is this: Democrats, you know, look. I mean, it's it. it, it it's so prevalent and 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 relative to this conversation that because the Democrats use the black community as a pawn uh, and not constituents uh, to their to their agenda when it come, when it comes time or election time any other time they're ignored the inner cities are a fact I mean the inner cities are 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 just a blatant fact to the failed policies of the Democrats I mean you just can't you say well the state the state differential no if you look at the majority for instance here in North Carolina we had a Democrat a legislator Democrat Democratic legislator that was and a Democrat governor. Nothing changed in this state, in the city. The same thing has happened. Crime has gone up. Fentanyl overdoses. I mean, it's still the same, same problems over and over and over. When is there going to be a change? When are we going to elect leaders that are really going to change? Do you really think a guy that's been in there for 50 years, Joe Biden, is going to come, become president and start making policy or introducing uh, policy changes that are going to help this country out? Of course not. You know, I, think I mean, this entire system needs an overhaul. As, as ageist as it is, I think, I think as ageist as it is, I think on some levels there should be an age limit or just a total service term limit. Uh, I don't think the Supreme Court should have been allowed to give themselves the power to be appointed to, by life, but they gave themselves that power, and we just kind of held by it. But also I think there's just the biological fact that as you get older, your thought processes generally, unless you do like a lot of exercises and stuff to mentally keep yourself going, they, they rigid up. You become less 
you become less receptive to new things. And, and, you know, it starts with like, ah, oh, man, I don't like those new TV shows or new music. You know, we joke about it, but I mean, that's the truth. You are more, you are less likely to want to do new things. You're going to more likely want to stick by what you know, because it's comfortable. And I think that's a problem. But I, I think the big problem too is, and you pointed out a chunk of it, uh, but it, it actually goes both ways. Um, and I, I love this in the meme all the time is uh, Democrats are generally speaking, uh, you know, hey, thanks for the vote. Hashtag rainbow. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Hashtag love is love. See you next election. And that's a problem. But in the same token, the uh, Republican uh, and conservative policies are usually pulling the actively pulling the rug out from uh, the support systems that predominantly benefit uh, minority groups and people. Uh, Amber Ruffin, great comedian, she had a thing about how up until like 1968, 1965, you know, the civil rights movement, up until that time, after um, things like uh, food stamp benefits were implemented and uh, unemployment was un- implemented, uh, white suburbia and conservatives loved it. It was a great safety net. It meant if you fell in your butt, you didn't have to struggle as hard to get back up and it, it kept you going so that you, you were less likely to fall so far behind and you could continue to be successful. You got like a, a retry kind of, but then unfortunately the times were pretty racist than it was the whole civil, you know, civil rights movement. As soon as black people became eligible for those benefits, there was a massive shift in we need to get rid of this stuff. There was a policy shift of the perception of who was getting it and who wasn't getting it. When in reality, the majority of, um, of, of poorer red states receive the most benefits. And that isn't to say that poor states are bad or red states are bad or poor because they're red states. I mean, there's the, you know, you're isolated. Farming isn't what it was anymore. It's not generating all the money. Now all the money comes from imports. So that's why the city and the port cities are making even more money. There's a wealth inequality there. So it's, it's not, it's not because of red leadership per se that those states receive the most amount of benefits, but the idea, the perception that uh, that minorities receive more benefits than anyone else, uh, which is it, some people believe, some people don't, but it's, it's kind of like this perception that's out there, and that's used as a platform as a reason to take benefits away from people is the idea that they're mooching or leeching or manipulating. Um, well, a recent poll, not really a accurate. recent poll uh, from well, a recent poll from the Wall Street Journal has revealed that more African Americans are willing to give uh, Republican candidates a chance, uh, oh, you know, yeah. I was than, actually, I was than they have in, in generations. Yeah, and and that's a lot well, of that has to do with George W. Bush. Um, at, at first, I mean, a lot of black people voted for George W. Bush, a lot of minorities, uh, because Abraham Lincoln was a Republican, which is the weird misnomer thing, because that's before the party shifted. The Republicans at the time were more progressive and the Democrats were more conservative. And they, there was a party shift of momentum. They kind of flipped on some ideas. Um, but because of that, they had a lot of black support in the Republican parties. You were Republican. You're black. You vote Republican. You just, you know, you, you do Lincoln right. Uh, Katrina came along and that I know it's a meme, but George W. Bush doesn't care about black people. And like that, that hurt a lot of their vote base. And then stuff just. Ironically, that was Kanye. Yeah. Oh, that was it. Wow. Weird. So, yeah. But I mean, so there's like, there's been the, so the Republican party and, you know, while they're there, while they want to take away support of things during as recessions are happening and stuff, it's being seen as an attack on them. So they're going, 
They're listening to the promises of the Democrat Party going, okay, well, we're going to do this now. Uh, So they're like, hey, this sounds good. Let's give the Democrats a chance. So there was a huge surge of minority voters going towards Democrats. But I think we're going to find in the next few years or so, there's just going to be a lot more independent voters of minorities, or it'll be the begrudgingly voting for the Democrat or the begrudgingly voting for the Republican, because I don't think any party actually cares about them. One party says, hey, we care about you a lot. Let's give you a couple tokens. And the other party says, let's use you as a token and take stuff away. But you are right. Who is going to take care of them? And I don't think it's going to be either. And unfortunately, there's really not many good third-party options either that are viable. No, there's not. There's there's absolutely – there's not. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So let's say, for example, though, like like, let's say Joe Biden um, in the upcoming Congress, let's say Joe Biden – had the perfect plan, the plan that would the economy that would that would be absolutely would fix everything in this nation and everything would be wonderful. I mean, that's never going to happen because no politician is going to have that because um, life is imperfect and everything. But let's just say he did. We've become so partisan as a country that the Republican Congress would be like, nope, we're not going to vote for it. In twenty in two thousand and nine. Um, before Obama was even inaugurated, there was a meeting amongst the Senate Republicans who were basically like, we're going to get together. We're going to stop every single thing. We're going to filibuster everything possible and stop anything that Barack Obama wants to do, period, end of story. Um, because it was more important for them to hand Obama political defeats than it was for them to actually do things that were for the good of the country. Um, and now I think I think Obama getting elected was was one of the big turning points in this um, in, in the country. And, and, and a lot of conservatives will are make that argument. It's like Obama made things worse. Well, no, it's just Obama was elected and that brought out a lot of the bad behavior in a lot of the other people who didn't like Obama the divided that, the country. Right. Obama, right, Obama's election divided right. the country <laughs> because because it brought out a lot of the divisiveness in people who were like, I can't believe we just elected the black guy. Um I think, to, to, to be totally honest with you, is, is the entire thing that we have to uh, really, really fo- focus on. And one thing I did want to bring up was one other subject that I wanted to uh, bring up, and that was the, before I do, uh, well, actually, I'll do, I'll do it right now, the critical race theory being taught in the schools uh, uh, across this country. Uh, I, I believe it's actually, it's, it's the worst thing we could be doing to our youth, the critical race theory. It's false narrative of history, and to wipe out the foundations or the fundamentals of history from our youth, well, no matter what color you are, uh, is wrong. Here's the thing, because I, I want to. What do you think critical race theory is? Because in reality, critical race theory is something that's taught in law school. It, it's it's not something that's taught in in elementary school, in middle school, even in high school. It's taught in it's a law school type course that deals with. You know, certain you know levels of, of, of oppressiveness within the, the the systems of systems of law in our country. Um, a lot of a lot of things have been labeled critical race theory that aren't. But for the sake of argument, what do you think is being taught in these schools that is harmful to specifically that is harmful to uh, the kids that are that are that would be hearing these things? Well, first of all. 
I don't think our, our elementary school uh, children or middle school children or high school children should be taught anything that has to do with that type of uh, theory, critical race theory. Um, let's so see, what is uh, it? What, what, what are they, they being they, taught that you disagree with specifically? Well, there's so many. There's so many. Uh, it's a false history that they're teaching. It's a false narrative of history that they're teaching altogether. I mean, what specifically uh, are the they teaching that's false? That's what I want to know. What specifically the are they teaching that's were false? Well, again, were the founding fathers were racist. No, were they, they were not racist. No, they, they, no, they, they voted. Were not they, 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 in order to in order to build the country, they had to they had to make a compromise that would treat black people as three-fifths of a person. I mean, how is that okay, not first racist? Of all, first of all, it wasn't considered racist okay. at the time. But the yeah, you have to look good. Yes, exactly. So, and that's why it's a yeah, exactly. They're aristocrats and, at that time. The aristocrat. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's why it's a college course is because it's it's about and it's not even that they're saying that this is 100 percent. It's a it's an open analytical look at the impact of uh, racial injustice, what was considered just then, what was considered now, how did it impact the future, how did it impact generations to come, what was the education, what was the output, are we in fact still racist or not, are we, critical race theory is, is called theory for a reason and critical because it's, it's critical thinking. It's a critical thinking project. The idea is to get you to question, to look at, to analyze beyond what we were taught in elementary school. Because if you want to talk about false history in elementary school, I was taught that George Washington said he'd never tell a lie. I was taught that he chopped down a cherry tree. I was taught that he had wooden teeth. Only one of these things is actually <laughs> true. Like he, his teeth, exactly. all his teeth back in the day were made from like wood or from slave teeth. And so it's like, I think we shouldn't be teaching children lies, but I think we should be teaching the truth. And the harsh reality is we had policy then that was what would be considered today harmful, racist, and terrible. And I think as somebody who loves the country, we need to be able to acknowledge that we did horrible things because how can we move forward? Well, hang on, hang on. That's where, hang on. I'm going to, uh, I want to get to that is one of the issues he said, I don't want to interrupt. I hate interrupting, but I try not white to. White students to renounce their whiteness, for instance. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's one of the things the issues of. what the CRT in college is being taught. I mean, that's, that's, that's not necessarily, I mean, it's, not, it's only CRT. CRT is only being caught in college. But unfortunately, what we have is what's entered the, the zeitgeist, what's, hap, what's entered the vernacular is that other things are being called critical race theory that aren't. But because it's being called that so much that it shows people are just defaulting to call these other things um, critical race theory. Now, are, you said something about white people denouncing whiteness. Is this something that's literally well, happening yeah. in, in, in elementary oh, school, I know middle about school, that. like? Well, that is the sixteen nineteen. The sixteen nineteen project actually uh, is one of them. Is 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 a to- totally falsehood of of history. I mean, uh, there's many different aspects of critical race theory. And first of all, critical race theory at any aspect or any form whatsoever should not be taught at all in the public school system, in elementary school, middle school, or high school. That's something those social issues should be addressed at home between the family and the community, not inside the public educational sector. But what's that's the thing. What specifically is being taught that you disagree with? There's there's a lot of buzzwords there that will work very good in your campaign. Um, but there's there's I want to know like what specifically is being taught. Like the like the the 1619 project is 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 a project about American slavery 
and and trying to teach the history okay. of, that, that has been forgotten or has or that doesn't get taught in schools because we because we te- te- we tend to whitewash history. So, well, like, how about this? How about always teaching minorities that they will always be victims? You know, uh, that type of attitude. Uh, you know, and also ascribes to high moral status is to be given, uh, uh, to, be, to being a victim, something terrible or self-development that you can't achieve any type of self-development, which goes against the values of individualism. You know, that, that, that's, that's, that's wrong. You know, uh, the minorities are not always teachers, victims. And uh, nobody tells kids that they should or want to be victims or that they're only going to be victims. Uh, Number two, critical race theory in any form isn't taught in any school other than college, but uh, theories about whiteness, uh, specifically, I want to say this whole thing about people saying they're denouncing whiteness, that is based on the theory that race itself is a social construct it doesn't really exist. Heritage exists. Biological heritage exists. But the way we identify ourselves, uh, you go to England, they're just they're in England. But if you move from England and you live in another country for a while, they're not like, oh, I'm English. They're like, I'm this now. So the identity that we prescribe to ourselves, it's based on our own culture. Um, but that's that's race. That's how you identity. It's uh it's hard to get into because it is, it's a lot of conceptual, and that's also why it's called critical race theory. Is it's, cause it's a deep evaluation of what we believe that we know and to look at it. So am I white? I mean, I'm Irish, so I'm pasty, but I'm also Italian, which so, can get dark sometimes. So the proponents well, – well, hang on. They, you know, realizing these inequities of proponents and argue that one gains self-awareness of institutional or – Historical um, guilt or cult. There's a, there's always this cultural racism, so, uh, something that yields um, it, uh, the lack of individualism. I mean, it's just all this this this. We're not judging anyone anymore on the content of their character, uh, and that whites have to renounce their whiteness, and there should be some sort of I've guilt for what happened two hundred, three hundred years ago. I've never was once that, heard uh, that white people have to renounce their whiteness, and I've never heard that being taught in schools. that's being spewed out there. What <laughs> Again, I'm not in elementary school, so I'm not sitting there. So I, <laughs> but that's the thing. You're running for office, and you're trying to eventually, if you win, have an impact on policy. So like, and, and, so, like, where – like, I want an, I want an example of, like, how – how are uh, elementary school kids, for example, being taught that they're always going to be victims? Like, like I think that's just a straw well, man. Well, well again, I don't know what's being taught in each individual school. I'm just letting you know critical race theory and any curriculum at all in elementary, middle school, or high school should not be taught at all. And it no matter what they're teaching. It isn't. Whites are king or whites are queen. I, I, they should not be taught at all that. That's but what I'm trying to say. they're not being taught that. Like they're not, so it's like they it's, are. It's only, <laughs> but you, know you said you don't know what they're being, being taught, taught, but you're saying they're being taught this. So that's the thing. It's like I don't. It, I, I like to draw the empirical They are being taught facts. this, but not. Again, you're asking me to spe- specifically pick out one issue in one particular place. I don't know what school's teaching what, but critical race theory as a whole, entering it into the curriculum, is being taught and introduced in a lot of schools around this country right now. That's a fact. Are you denying that that's a fact? I mean, it is being introduced. Now, how it's being taught, how and what's being taught, I have not sat in those classrooms. 
But you don't Again, even have I an did, example or a quote. I did give up one example where whites have to renounce their whiteness, that there's a guilt that, that, that we don't okay, longer judge them on the content of their character. Well, you're saying people where, are teaching I, I, that, I, but you're just saying people are. Like, where's the example? Where, where's a teacher that got called out for saying that whites have to renounce their whiteness? Where, I mean, just any oh. example proving it's actually <laughs> happening. I mean, like... Or are you just going on the idea that this is happening because you're being told? That you're it's telling happening? me that critical race theory is not being introduced as a curriculum around public schools across this country right now. And within this critical race theory, that this type of uh, notion that um, uh, whites have to renounce their whiteness, or that that we should be guilty for what happened and and renounce what happened and feel guilt uh, uh, what happened of our of our history of George Washington, uh, Jefferson. That I can we so that guilty for the way the founders. Easily, I can answer that very easily with a with a question. Okay. Uh, it, it, we should not be proud of our history. Pub- basically, how many public schools, K through twelve, teach advanced law college classes? I don't because have the number that on is that where, exact number. Because, because I'm going to guess it's zero. And if it and if it's more than zero, if it's one or two, because I mean I w- I went to school in Lincoln Sudbury. A lot of our graduates went. To, we had the highest percentage of students going to MIT Tech. Uh, it was was before they closed it, made it a different school, uh, redistricting and all that stuff. It was one of the number one schools in the country. Doesn't mean I'm the smartest person in the world, but I went to school with a lot of smart people, and there was a lot of advanced elective classes. And schools like that do exist, but in order for a class that is an advanced college law class like that to be taught in a public school, it has to be an elected class. And you've got to make like high honors to get into that because it is too complex for your average high school student to be able to grasp. And there won't be Let a alone elementary or middle school. Exactly. But, but here's, but like, here's the it, thing though. Like, like I, I, you, 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 so first of all, thank you, Robert Reynolds, so for buying me a cider. Moms for America, this organization just came up out of nowhere, and they're just making up these stories that critical race theory is being taught in the schools across this country or it's being introduced. I mean, there's, I mean, there's many different organizations out there that are trying to put a stop to this. Are you telling me that they're just making it up? I mean, I, I need to see empirical evidence of that what's being taught. That's the thing. Like you're saying, you're you're making generalizations that these things are being taught, that we're being taught to, that we have to feel that kids are being taught to feel guilty for being white. I, I haven't I haven't seen any you, example of any sort of curriculum of people being taught that they need to feel guilty for being white. Now, if, if now. If we want to go, if we want to talk about the true nature of our history, and we're gonna, we bring up slavery. Slavery makes us look bad, right? So looking at teaching slavery automatically says that there is something in our nation's history that we should not be proud of, and that's not critical race theory. That's just a fact that we should not be proud of the fact that we had chattel slavery in this country until the slaves were freed. Uh, we had to fight a civil war about it, and there were states that specifically... No, no, the civil war was not based upon slavery. No, it yes, was not. Yes, it was. It was let not me, solely me... based upon slavery. No, it was solely, not. But that, that was part <laughs> of it, and it was of no. many of the articles of secession it, that were it, written by the states included the fact that they believed that the states had the right to have slaves. Or that the states had the right to have slaves. So, so while it, maybe it wasn't all of it, but it was definitely a big part of it. And it was included in many, if not all, of the Articles of Secession. 
the North well, did want look, to control the South with taxation, and that was a big part of it as well. But the the income, the economic growth of the South did come from slavery. So I don't think the North was necessarily the, the wonderful heroes per se. Like, I don't think the North cared about the slaves, but it was about slavery. I don't think the South cared about slaves, but like on the economic front, it was about slavery. And I think that is a problem in history, too, is that we are giving a lot of credit where credit isn't due. And it's something we should probably be really looking at going, you know what? The North wasn't automatically the good guys. We did a lot of screwed up stuff, too. The South wasn't 100 percent the bad guys, but they did some really screwed up stuff, too. And a lot of the reasons uh, for the economic stuff was based on bad things. And that stuff that is maybe a, a little bit too complex for younger students to get into, but it is important to teach that slavery was not just unpaid black workers, which is what the Texas school books tried to change the curriculums to say. And to me, that's, that's a really big, big falsehood. Uh, that is, I mean, that's, that's empirically, factually incorrect. They weren't just, you know, volunteers, happy-go-lucky. That's, that's a problem, and that's something that we can actually have evidence that it happened, was that the Texas school boards that decide what gets to get put in the textbooks, because Texas buys the most amount of textbooks, so capitalism reasons say they get to, you know, they get to shove their weight around and say what gets to go in and out of those books. That's a weird thing of capitalism. Well, well yeah, but yeah. I mean, you know there were many happened. issues of... Uh, yeah, yeah. There were many issues yeah. of of the Civil War. In fact, it was. I mean, yeah, the, the textile industry. Um, uh, again, but you have to go to the evil the roots of the Rothschild banking dynasty like, over in England that had their root, uh, roots. I mean, eighteen twelve war. We can go all the way back there. I mean, again, there's a whole. We, we now we're getting into the corporate de facto versus de jure government, and and really is a sickness in this country too because the Reconstruction Act and the creation of the Federal Reserve Act really what is what enslaved all Americans. The Fourteenth Amendment enslaved all Americans. Uh, again, you change the word citizen and person in Black's Law Dictionary, look it up. They have two different separate meanings that are huge in law. And you start taking away from common law, and we go into the codification of our laws, the general statutes, which now that's where we get into a whole other argument. And that's really what is wrong with America today is our organic constitution is dormant, and our real constitution is not being implemented in our everyday lives because we're under public policy and not public law anymore. And people have to understand, and that's why I ran on restoring our republic, because I believe that we're all enslaved today through the 14th Amendment, and that the central bankers, and and the uh, which goes back to the money changer days, I mean, we can go through a whole entire history here, but the, 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 the Reconstruction Acts after the Civil War is what really enslaved all Americans, and then the Federal Reserve bankrupted this country by 1929, and then you go to the Emergency Powers Act of 1933 where the gold was confiscated, and uh, we, have, we jumped off the gold standard in 1971, um, and then you go to the uh, oil embargo and the oil, where we started getting into the oil conflict with the Middle East and uh, trying to force Iran into a central banking scheme and to get away from their sovereignty. And the and, uh, I mean, stuff it, that you're 
it all is the same yeah, level of, of the critical – I said the complexities of the details that, that you're bringing up and that I'm bringing up, those are the actual things being in critical race theory, which is why it's a college-level course is because there's so many minute details, in it, and it is the examination of how one thing affected another and, like, what we're perceiving. And it's just one course that goes part of a whole thing. You're not supposed to base your whole reality on this one thing. It's just to give you a, a perspective of how – if, as a lawyer or a judge or whatever, how these historical things may or may not have in, uh, impacted people's lives, their decision, because intent is an important thing in law. Intent uh, determines whether or not it's manslaughter or murder. So when you're trying to determine all of these things, it's, it's a thing to have perspective. And that's why, it's, that's why it's a college law course, and it's just one course. But there is an unfortunately yep. – um, how many how many people do you think go on Twitter to make inflammatory statements in order to get attention? Probably a lot, right? A lot, sure. Okay, and um, flat earthers. I mean, I don't think you're a flat earther. I mean, you might be, and if you are, I'm sorry, but I don't think you're a flat earther. No. There's a lot of they, you know, they came up with all these theories and they keep coming up with all these things to try to, to try to prove their point, and they're saying it. That doesn't mean it's real. Even though a lot of people, so there are organizations that right now, just like, just like me being a liberal and a progressive, I have, I have agenda. My agenda is I want progressive policy. I want, uh, I want a universal basic income for everyone. You might have just like, you know, rolled your eyes or cringed at the sound of that, but I want a universal basic income. I want national health care for everyone. I have an agenda for that. And if I had the power and the money, I would absolutely make a group to try to make and spread awareness as much as possible. On the same level, there are people in particular parties that have an agenda to want to stop the teaching of things that are critical of American history that they deem critical. And they're using the term critical race theory as a blanket scare tactic when it's not critical race theory. Right. There's a difference between, you know, being, being critical, i.e. thinking about things in a critical way and being critical of the country. And they are definitely confusing the two with those things. Um, yeah, but I do want to go back. I do want to go back to one thing before we. I, I don't want to gloss over this part. Like okay. I, I think that it's like you say that the Fourteenth Amendment enslaved us all. Now, now I, w- I want to go back for that in a second. But what the type of enslavement that we're talking about with slavery is, but the chattel slavery that where people were were held in bondage and forced to do labor that that you know that they didn't want to do and that they were not well compensated for at all you know oh they had a place to stay and food to eat that's my first uh, words of uh, words of redneck wisdom came from that that guy at one of the CPAC conventions that you know um you know he was ridiculous i'll have to play that at some point later but anyway the, the point is, is that is that you have you know, that that slavery is different from what it is you're trying to say the 14th and i'm still kind of lost at what you think of the 14th i was i was i was responding to somebody from some website on twitter um uh, some conservative woman who was basically trying to say that the 14th amendment was unconstitutional and that just completely blew my mind because how is it unconstitutional it's part of the constitution it was ratified well, it, as part of the it was constitution. never ratified it was it was it was illegally implemented. Uh, okay, I'll tell you right now. Uh, you have to go back to uh, well, let's see where should I? How can I easily explain this in a, and and not in a long uh, way? Um, 
de facto and de jure, all right, you have to go back to jurisdictions and let's see here. Um, for instance, uh, there's a, there's movements across this country and there are people that understand that the um, uh, the North Carolina basically uh, from July 1st, 1868, uh, for instance, the state of North Carolina was forcibly under United States military dictatorship uh, as a result of the Reconstruction Acts. These acts imposed on us a military dictatorship, an election, a method of changing our constitution, a constitution all foreign to our organic law. Our constitution, therefore, has been dormant, not dead since that date. Okay, so you have to understand what has happened since then. We became a corporation. The United States became a de facto corporation, and that's been that's basically governed by Washington D.C. I call them the District of Criminals. Um, uh, so, uh, you, do you understand the, the difference between de jure and de facto? Um, you know, it was ratified I, I just by don't know how to thirty-seven states. Which is what is required. Well, it's like the income if, tax. Was the income tax is the, the income tax is unconstitutional? There's no, re, there is no law on the books right now that says you have to pay an income tax. But they'll come arrest you if you don't. So how is that so? Why can how can they get away with doing that? Okay, let, let, let's because get off the income tax for a second, have, just because of the fact that I, I still don't, I'm still not buying the whole, the whole thing. Like, like it, it sounds very conspiracy theory esque to say that it's. I mean, you have yeah. a bunch of states from the south. That 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 declared war against the United States of America. They fired first at Fort Sumter. You know, the South Carolinians did. Oh, not, yeah, South Carolinians fired first. Uh, they, they, of course, the, the United States if, if, is going to go and 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 I guess if they're trying to I guess make sure that the people who were enslaved or not were no longer be slave. I mean, of course, that there's going to be some sort of military presence. Uh, to, to quell any further re- rebellion against the government. I mean, it, it, it's kind of silly to think that there wouldn't have been. Um, I'm personally of the opinion that any state that rebelled, uh, their entry to the Union should be considered the date that they were re-entered into the Union and not the original state that they entered the Union, because that's ridiculous, um, because they left and then they they had to be allowed back in. Um, but again, I still don't get the whole... The conspir- I, I don't I don't see how something that is I mean I guess if you're going to say that it's not legally I mean I guess if you're going to make the argument that it wasn't legally ratified then therefore you're not going to think that it's a legal amendment but I, I think that's that's very tinfoil hatty um, and I, I think that that's beyond it but I mean you, you I mean there's a lot of other things that you said in there that that also are very uh, cons. Okay, well, let's, let's put it this way. During and after like, the Civil War... Like, who do you think is responsible for during all and after, that? Okay, well, hang on. During and after the Civil War, Southerners repeatedly declared that the cause of which they fought was the sublime moral principle of states' rights. Given such protections... Which, which is not a real thing. And, and given the history of well, given the history of Southern resistance to federal authority throughout the uh, that period, it is easy though to associate states' rights exclusively with the South. But it is also mistaken. Connecticut and Massachusetts endorsed um, uh, uh, this idea in 1808. The Hartford Convention of 1814 did the same. In 1840, Vermont made it a crime to aid in capture the, uh, uh, of a runaway slave. Despite the Federal Fugitive Slave Act in 1846, the Massachusetts House of Representatives declared the Mexican War. Un- 
unconstitutional. A decade later, Wisconsin asserted the supremacy of its Supreme Court over the United States Supreme Court. Yet it was the succeeding, uh, succeeding states that had carried the doctrine of states' rights to the extreme, and northern radical Republicans in their zeal to punish, plunder, and reconstruct the South were willing to undermine the doctrine as part of their undertaking, whatever else the radicals had in mind, in pushing through the Reconstruction Amendments. Okay. Um, historical, the historical graphic and background of this, the sub, uh, the, I mean, I just don't know where to begin. I mean, in 1958, after the decision in Brown versus Board amidst the massive Southern resistance of the desegregation, a Houston lawyer named Pickney uh, McCule published an article in the South Carolina Law Quarterly that reached the same conclusion that the 14th Amendment was never ratified and is unconstitutional. Okay, so I mean, if, if we have a process here. We were we were a republic. We were founded as a republic, correct? And and mm-hmm. so I just don't know. Article five provide provides that Congress, wherever two thirds of both the House shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments. The wording is not explicit to, as to whether two thirds of both houses means two thirds of the members or two thirds of those present in voting. But Article one, Section five defines a quorum as a simple majority gives each house power to judge the qualifications of its members and authorizes each to make it its own rules, okay? So you know all that logic, that? Yeah, that went... Hang on. The 39th Congress approved the 14th Amendment in 1866 by more than two-thirds of the members present in each house. It was acting within the framework of the rules as established in the Constitution. There was ample precedent for reasoning, though, that records do not li- itemize the voting in the first Congress on the amendment, that the, that the House did not have the number of votes at the time, and that it did not fulfill the Bill of Rights. And it is clear from the debates that the members read two-thirds of both houses to mean two-thirds of a quorum. So basically, they did not have the votes or the number number of votes at that time to ratify the 14th Amendment, so therefore it was not, it should not have been passed, and it was it's not constitutional. So therefore, if it wasn't constitutional, it was slipped under the you, you know the cracks there and pushed through. Why was it done so? Why, you know? I mean, you have to look at that and go back. You have to go all the way back to 1862 and read the uh, records at that time of what the House for was debating and arguing about the 14th Amendment and about uh, not slavery, about the many different fa- uh, facets and arguments that were going on between the North and South. And the South didn't succeed and say screw the North. They wanted to. They wanted to remain in the Union. They were. We have to understand states' rights and individual rights, and the argument between states' rights and individual sovereign rights. I mean, what did but what states was the don't have rights. States have for, powers. Well, People have rights. Yeah, and, and like but states, states don't have any rights. Like, like there's no right. there's nothing in the Constitution that grants a state something called a right. States have powers. People have rights. And, and so the, the powers that a state has okay. should not be able to trample over the rights of individuals. You're a letter of okay. a law constitutionalist, okay. and you believe that um, that the states should have their own power. So uh, do you believe that the states should still have their own militias or that the state militias were uh, legal militias and that the federal uh, U.S. military is not a legal militia? Well, the, the states are sovereign in itself, okay? So, yes, they should have their own militias. I mean, okay. you have, you have uh, to look so, at the question of jurisdiction. So, I mean, follow you up know, to that, uh, then, I mean, 
Uh, and you, you also believe that the Constitution should be as written, not as currently interpreted, uh, and that modern interpretations that change based on current language uh, it shouldn't really be how we dictate how the Constitution was actually written to the intent of the federal, uh, to the founding fathers, especially in regards to the idea of a possible tyrannical federal government. Would that be correct? Well, 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 let me explain it to you. I think this will really explain it the best way without getting into legal stuff. The problem is this. Prior to the Reconstruction Acts, okay, uh, and the unconstitutional 14th Amendment to the Constitution, the federal government had no control and no authority, okay, over the lives or property of the people of the several states. In direct contrast to the intentions of the founders of America, we now see a total invasion by the federal government in nearly every aspect of our lives. No longer are we author- authoritative state citizens exercising constitutionally protected liberties, but we have become subjected so, uh, subjugated U.S. citizens begging and, and overbearing federalized government for some uh, zem- uh, resemblance of freedom. Okay? That's how you take what's going on, but I take it completely 100% differently. What I saw and what I see is you have states government, state governments who are insisting on wanting to deny individuals liberty and a federal government that's coming in and preventing them from doing so. That that like like the state governments like states want to prevent the conservative states the one that were part of the Confederacy are are the are the states that and then some other ones on top of it as well are the ones that would love to just go ahead and reban gay marriage they would want to you know reban interracial marriage maybe if they could if if we're looking at the ruling from uh, Dobbs v Jackson and and uh, Clarence Thomas's uh, concurrence with it um, you have. These people want to eliminate individual rights because they view certain activities as, quote, immoral. Um, there, there, you know, Lawrence v. Texas was criticized by Scalia at the time that it was, it was passed by the Supreme Court uh, because, because it would be the door that opens up all these other things. Lawrence v. Texas, you know, should a state be able to say that two consenting adults or more if you're having more than two involved, should not be able to have uh, sexual relations with each other. Well, states that are conservative are proving that they want to prevent just that, and the federal government is needed to come in and stop the tyranny of the state from, from, from infringing the, individual rights. The ultimate rights. maximum of law, the ultimate maximum of law that applies is that, is that the created cannot violate its creator. If you create something, you have ultimate dominion over it. Okay, right? I mean, uh, do you agree with that? I, I'm not exactly sure what so, you mean. <laughs> okay, so well, let's, let's just take a law graph, for instance. You've got God's law, right? You've got man, uh, man's law, correct? I mean, so, and then you have... Um, uh, the state, the state, the state, state citizens. You have state citizens, right? And then you have federal, uh, a federal law, right? So that, mm-hmm. that, that, if you look at it that way, on a law graph, okay. Question. So what, what uh, I said was, is that which God? So, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, which God? Whatever God you want to believe in. Whatever God okay. you want to believe in. So uh, like when you say, you know, that's, you, that's your, that's between you and your God. Okay, because like I said, like sometimes when I mean, my God's law, God, my God, God, the God I was raised to, to to worship and believe under Judaism uh, requires an abortion if the if the if the person who's pregnant um, has a uh, has a life threatening condition. So, um, should that trump state law? 
No, it should not. What do you mean to Trump state law? What do you mean talking about abortion? Well, I mean, well, well, well you know, my stance on abortion, I mean. Well, you're, bringing up, you're bringing up God's law as if, as if somehow it's God's – whatever deity anybody worships, you know, it, it should be irrelevant to – the laws, the secular laws of our country. You know, if, if you have, if you follow a certain code that's that's uh, that comes from a religious text, and you want to follow that, and you believe that there are um, there are penalties after death for violating those laws as written in those religious texts, that should have no basis on what the laws are of the of, of local municipalities, states, or the federal government. Sure, there may be there may be um, an intersection if, if you have the set of all uh, laws in the Bible, in like the Hebrew Bible, and you have a set of all the laws in uh, the state that you live in, there, there may very well be an intersection of things that both prohibit, but the, the rule, the, the law of, of whatever deity you want to worship or you're choosing to worship should have nothing to do with this conversation because it should be about you know, if we're talking about liberty, that means we should be able to follow whatever religion we believe in. And like, you know, for example, like my, I was raised Jewish. Um, should we, you know, we shouldn't be stopping uh, people from buying and selling or eating pork just because Jews believe that pork is trafe, i.e. not kosher. Um, it, we should, you know, religious law should play no part in our secular government. That's one. I'm, well, that's uh, I'm an Christian Catholic, act. and I think we should take you know, down all the banks because money lenders are evil. Well, hang on. An unconstitutional <laughs> act uh, 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 is not law. It confers no rights, and imposes no duties, and affords no protection. It creates no office. It, it, it's an illegal. I mean, it, it, it's it's nothing. It's unconstitutional. If we obey the Constitution again, and which we, we have of, of strayed away from after the Civil War, because we no longer have that organic Constitution, because we codified all our laws and we became, became statutes and statutory laws, UCC law. We became public policy other than public law, and that's what, what has eroded away our constitutional rights, and that's why we see all these infringements on our rights now. You know, I mean, I just don't know how. But I'm seeing else, of, how, what I'm other way to say less it. infringements of rights coming from the federal government. I, the most infringements of individual rights I see coming from the states, and the the, the 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 entity that I see that is protecting individual rights is the federal government. Like, okay, like I, I don't know. I, don't, I, so, I mean, so I, what, I, like when a state tries to prohibit an activity that a otherwise consented to person does. Now, look, there are things that are legal on both sides that I think that should be legal, like, you know, marijuana possession, so individual marijuana use. If you want to use drugs, you know, you should be able to do so. If that's your decision, as long as you're not going to hurt anybody else, as long as you're not going out and driving, you know, while, while, you're, while, while you're high, just like you shouldn't be able to go drive when you're intoxicated. But, you know, and the federal government currently still hasn't changed the classification of marijuana, so it's still technically illegal federally, and it's technically illegal in many of the states. Um, so those I think are individual are circumstances where both sets of government have it wrong. But there are there are consistent. I mean, I, I we we obviously disagree on whether or not abortion should be legal or not. But I the states are trying to. There are, there are certain states that are trying to prevent. Well, we are an active state with a representative. We are an active state with a representative and elected government, right? We we are we, you know I mean that's what we that's what we are. You know I mean I just don't. So what do you, I mean, I don't understand what you, where you're getting at there. What are you saying that the state has no 
authority whatsoever? I mean, we have an elected no, government, the state, right? The state has the authority that is that is that is not given to the federal government and also not restricted to it by the Constitution via the Tenth Amendment. However, the the, the activities that are that are restricted to it are things like you know. If, if a state is not allowed to deny people equal protection under the law. So, for example, like take the marriage argument. Um, states have every power, have the power to define marriage, you know, in a way that they see fit, but they cannot do so in a way that denies people equal protection under the law. So, therefore, they can't deny, you know, interracial couples from getting married. They can't, they shouldn't be able to deny uh, homosexual couples from getting married. Uh, because if they're there by doing so, they would be denying people equal protection under the law. Um, so, 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 yeah, okay. a, state, a state government has the authority to do many things, but they have to do so in ways they should. They should be forced to do so in ways that are that are that are not going to fringe on individual rights. And as we've seen throughout the history of our country, especially in states that are in the South, these states are the ones that are more likely to want to infringe on individual rights, be they the belief that the state should have the authority to enslave other people or that they should be able to keep black people and white people forcibly separated or that they should be able to um, prevent people who are black and white from being married or prevent homosexuals. Well, the main functions of state governments, you know, state, state, states have jurisdiction over what? Juris, uh, over education, agriculture, public health, sanitation, hospitals, dispensaries, and, and, and other departments. The state governments also have to maintain the internal security of, uh, and law and, and, uh, and order in the state, correct? Uh, that, 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 is, that governs according to the Constitution, correct? I mean, that's, right, that's, what, that's what the function of our state government is. So, but they can't, they shouldn't be able to do so in a way that infringes on individual rights and who is going to stop a state from infringing on individual rights who what entity has the power to tell the state you can't do this because it is violating individual rights the only entity that can do this is the federal government and as such it, it the federal government needs to have that authority to be able to come in there and say no state you're bad but you see some vast conspiracy theory about this when all oh, I see is... Oh, I see is what you're getting at now. Okay. I see where you're getting at. There's, there's three levels of government uh, in the United States. You have the federal, state, and local. All levels of government must obey the U.S. and state constitutions. The U.S. Constitution gives the federal government uh, certain powers and assigns all other powers to the state governments. State governments establish the local governments within their territories and delegate certain powers to them. Each level of government is divided into three branches. The legislative branch makes the laws, the executive branch carries out the laws, and the judicial branch applies the laws to specific court cases and interprets the laws, right? That's the functions of our government. Right. Okay. The state but, law can't uh, violate that, federal law. Right, the state law can violate the Constitution, and if the Constitution guarantees equal protection under the law, if the, if the federal Constitution guarantees that, you know, people should be treated equally and, you know, people that people can't be denied equal protection, then guess what? That if, the, if the state government decides that it's not going to abide by that, then again, who, who else has the authority well, to do hang on. No. But it's the wrong federal government? Well, the federal government 
Well, the federal government produces currency, regulates taxes, establishes federal welfare, uh, you know, programs and whatnot, and foreign policy. It oversees the defense of the country, and it makes laws that affect the nation as a whole. Okay, the the federal government ensures cooperation of state and local governments by providing funds to operate federal programs, such as uh, you know, uh, affordable health insurance, building roads, airports, highway systems, and and pollution control, and blah yada yada, and all that stuff. The state government oversees the affairs within the state borders. It raises income taxes, income tax, uh, state income taxes, and oversees state uh, welfare programs such as Medicaid. Uh, it also controls the state uh, criminal code and maintains state roads and carries out federal laws, carries out federal laws and programs at the state level. State and local courts hear cases and interpret the state constitution and laws. State and local governments work together to operate schools and ensure that they, they meet state standards. The federal government has no jurisdiction or power over that individual state. Well, you disagree with the court I, 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 and it goes but to the additional power I guess that you disagree with, and the additional power that you disagree with is the fact that the 14th, 14th Amendment also gives Congress the authority to, to pass law to protect individual liberty when states decide that they're going to deny individuals their liberty. Why would we need that? Why would we need that? We already have the Bill of Rights and Declaration of Independence. Why would, we need the, why would we need the 14th Amendment telling us that? The states have proven themselves. I mean, honestly, not honestly speaking, we should Georgia have never needed a 13th Amendment. We should have never needed a 13th Amendment. There should have never had needed to have been a prohibition on slavery because the natural right of people should have been to be free. And by, clear, by, by allowing slavery, that was a violation of an individual's rights. And they felt the well, need sure. to enumerate it sure. because the they felt the need to enumerate that because the southern states were like, nope, we don't believe in that. So therefore, clearly the Bill of Rights wasn't enough. Uh, so you had to add the 13th Amendment. But clearly the, the Bill of Rights wasn't enough to, to, to force the hands well, of the states. Well, this is a good question. You want to know why? To... The... Yeah, that's right. And this is a good question. You want to because the founders knew that. They knew by the Bill of Rights and Constitution that eventually in time that this would – that you know, look, the founders were very blessed in that way because they foresaw that the states would work it out amongst themselves. We had to fight a war, but they would work it out amongst themselves that where everyone has the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. We all have that right, and that's why that document is so important, that Constitution. If we obey that Constitution, that's what I've said now from the beginning. If we obey the Constitution and don't uh, – uh, Break away from that, and don't don't impose unconstitutional regulations or licenses or practices. Then we will be okay, and everyone will you know everyone will have that that enjoy that life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. But when we start having government involved and start imposing government on a progressive level, more and more and more and more in our everyday lives, we lose our constitutional freedoms and we have conflict, and it takes away from our everyday freedoms and we lose our inherent right to creativity. Can I? To Seemingly unrelated, but kind of related. Uh, and it's um, do you have kids? And if you don't want to answer that, like, do you get friends that have kids? Yes, I do. Uh, okay. Yes, I do. I have, um, ha- have you ever done the whole thing? Like, I know my dad's done this to me before, where it's like he had a basic rule that should have been like common sense don't do this thing. And then your kid or your friend's kid finds kind of like a loophole around that to like, you know, they, you know, the thing they're getting away with it. Like for me, my dad took away my Nintendo. Oh, yeah. Nintendo yep. homework. So I took up my Sega Genesis. That's not Nintendo loophole. 
I think that's the same thing with laws. <laughs> I mean, that I think that's the problem. If what you're saying, if what I'm getting from you is right, you're saying if we obey the Constitution, then we shouldn't need this stuff. But also, I think exactly. we've also proven that politicians and people in general were like just dumb little children, and we keep doing bad stuff. And I think that's why we need laws. However, I also think your point of like a lot of laws are dumb is because a lot of those politicians are in the hands of businesses, pockets, and all that stuff. And they're making and dumb the laws. Bankers, impacting yep. the, yeah, and the bankers are making dumb laws that are hurting people in weird ways. And right. yeah, so that's why control. we get a lot of – Control, greed, power, yeah. yeah. You're absolutely yeah, correct. And if we obey, if you know, and and and, that, and that's the nature of man, isn't it? it you know, yeah. that's the human race control, but like we, like we had the problem with slavery, control over another rules. human being. You know. Yeah, but but if we don't try to make the rules, you know, there's going to be a lot of jerks out there. I wanted to say a holes, but I keep forgetting we're on there. Um, that are going to be like, well, there's nothing saying I can't do this. If a state obeys the Constitution, they shouldn't be able to ban gay marriage because the Constitution is like, hey, Bill of Rights, you're a human, you're a citizen, you have the right to happiness, you can't make that law. But a state will go and say, well, it doesn't say we can't do this, we're going to go do this. So they had to put stuff in to say, oh, man, just like, come on, man, you, you can't well, yeah, do I mean, that. I mean, like, that's not it, what we meant. I, I think that's a good problem. point. You're because absolutely correct. States are constantly, like children, going to continually test the boundaries. They're going to continually be like, well, we want to do this. Uh, or either the state as a government as a whole or the people acting as the state by trying to vote on particular you know, rules or, or laws or whatever that they might want to do via, via a ballot initiative, they're going to try and bend the rules. They're going to try and, um, they're going to try and, 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 and push it to get as much as they want to get done and 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 who but again that's the thing who else is there to stop it if the states decided yeah it would be great if everybody would you know if everybody would just simply follow the constitution it would be great if everybody would just respect the rights of individuals to 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 be sovereign over themselves and 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 if everybody would act right and not infringe on anybody else's right in any way that would be wonderful. We wouldn't need laws at that point because everyone would be acting in an altruistic way. That doesn't. That's not realistic. That's not realistic and to that's people. That's why you have are, an Article Three. And you have an Article power Three corrupts, court. Absolute you have a court power corrupts. Grand absolutely. A power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And the more power that people have, the more they're going to try and stretch and bend the rules and and do things and, and take advantage and 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 and, 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 and strips. That power from man strips it. We obey the Constitution and strip. That's why you have three branches of equal government, equal say. And you have the supreme power, which is the people. And we elect these representatives to represent us, represent us in those three branches of government. And, and, and but the problem we is need, we're too busy making rules. I think we need a flux capacitor. We've got to go back, find the founding <laughs> fathers, and say, hey, listen. Listen, we know when you wrote the Second Amendment, you weren't thinking about, like, weapons that could shoot out this many bullets. Are you guys okay with this still? Oh, you are? Okay, wow, that's, you know, mind blown. Didn't think you were going to be Well, they way. did. They uh, did. Hang on now. They did. They gave us the Federalist Papers. They gave us many letters and, 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 and writings and teachings that go along with the Constitution of why they wrote what they wrote. You know, it's all in the history. It's all in the archive. Even within that, there's still going to be interpretations and interpretations, and then also current things have changed. So it's like until until we can get the founding fathers to look at the world and we're in now and go, hey, is this what you had in mind? Like we know you wrote that, but remember, 
the current definition of the Second Amendment, and like not to say right or wrong, but the current definition is based on the placement of a comma as to whether or not they were referring to the individual right to own or the individual right to carry within the militia. And I'm in the group of belief that believes it's the state militia that they're talking about, but there's a perfectly valid argument to also say that they're talking about ownership, even though the Constitution very rarely mentions ownership, it does mention it from time to time. So it's not something I can just go, oh, they never could have possibly meant that. But like so, even what we well, the right to bear arms shall not be infringed. Shall not be infringed. You say that word infringed. Obviously, they're applying it as an individual basis. But there's also a a well-regulated militia. There's also a well-regulated militia, which is the first part, which is often forgot. So. Yeah. Were they talking about the fear of the time that a federal government was going to disarm the state militia and that your right as a citizen is part of the state to carry an arm so that you wouldn't be a militia only in name and therefore be unable to defend yourself? Did they mean that the same way like you have the right to own a car? I mean you don't have a right to own a car, but like if the cars existed, would they have written you have the right to own a car or would that be an implicit right? Did they mean it like that or did they mean, no, literally everybody can have a gun ownership it's kind of impossible to really know exactly because the just that I'm one sure the founders didn't changed. mean well. Twenty years from now, you you know you ain't gonna need a uh, a gun. You know, I mean, I'm sure they didn't mean. Yeah. The other thing I don't like, though, let me let me interrupt him, Alex, a second. Cause we we have about 15 minutes left, so I want to. Okay. Um, okay. okay. But the the thing is, is that um, the uh, what should we call it? Um, Federalist paper argument. I, I, it really bugs me because of the fact that oftentimes you'll hear conservatives talking about that we need to be textualists. We need to we need to be textualists when it comes to interpreting the interpreting laws, interpreting the Constitution. That we that we need to deal with laws as written, the Constitution as written, except for when it comes to the Federalist Papers. Then we don't have to be textualists. Then we can go read these other people's opinions about about the thing that they wrote. But if if we if we can read the Federalist Papers, then why can't we read uh, the why can't we read the arguments made by the the senators and the and the people that passed the law that says this is what we meant by this? So therefore, why shouldn't that be allowed too? I don't get that. But the other thing I wanted to bring up before we finish this is again, what's the issue with uh, like you you brought up bankers twice? Uh, what is uh, like what are, what do the bankers have to do with it? Like, 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 what do, what do banking, what does banking have to do with any of this? Oh, Dan, you sweet. Well, the founders warned us. Well, the founders warned us very clearly of central bankers and the national bank, having a national bank, that they were more dangerous than standing armies. Uh, Well, some founders uh, warned us of that. Other founders wanted a centralized bank. I mean, you had, you know, it was a difference between like Jefferson and Hamilton, right? Well, Hamilton, we know, was, was probably uh, – there's now you can go into conspiracy theory here, but probably it was a long arm of the Rothschild family. We know that they were influenced by the Rothschilds. So, uh, I mean, uh, you know, you could say that's a conspiracy, but, uh, you know, there is documented letters and whatnot in the archives on that. So, I mean, I don't want to get into a conspiracy theory. But, again, no, the founders were actually all – well, Andrew Jackson campaign, no bank, right? Only president to pay off the uh, na- the U.S. Uh, national debt, actually. So, uh, you know, I mean, he campaigned, no bank. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, what more do you need? And after that, well, it wasn't soon after that the Civil War broke out, and, and we know what happened after that. So, so, I think we have a difference of opinion of why <laughs> banks are bad. I think centralized banks are bad because it leads to a one easy system to be manipulated by essentially what turns into – 
turned into a yeah, greed, capitalism, capitalism, bad. Having an economy and having and then wanting to make money, not bad, but capitalism and making money aren't the same thing. Capitalism is a system of basically dog eat dog, and it just ends badly. Not to say communism ever ends well either, because greed gets in the way. Um, but the problem with a centralized bank is that it, it does allow for easily corruption because you have one system. And as much you want to know why? Make- because they practice fra- because they practice fractional reserve banking, which is the recreation of money on upon interest of the money you deposit, and that's wrong. It breeds dishonesty. You know, the money's not there. I can take your money and lend it out and recreate it thirty times over to my other customers and collect interest on the money you worked for. That's wrong. That's dishonest. Yeah, which is also That's why the usury. stock market is wrong. It wasn't so bad when, yeah. when my bank had an interest as a kid. My interest rate as a kid was like 4% or something like that or like 3%. Now it's I had like 12% 0. interest. 0. 0. I had 1%. I, I, had a, I had a credit union account that was giving me 12% interest when I was a young kid. I'm, I missed those oh, days. Oh, but then again, mortgage yeah. rates were also <laughs> really high as well. But also back then, you could write off the entirety of all of your debts off of your income. So that's so, but the, also, so when you pay the mortgage rate, that, that is good. Yeah. Because yeah. deregulation well, of the good. bank yeah. allowed I mean, them to invest I, I, the money I, I even more, and that's a problem. <laughs> so that's a, that's a case of good regulation. Uh, they, they should have regulated the bank. <laughs> like Wall Street and the banks, um, I make fun of crypto, but it, it, it exists because of a need of people going, oh, my God, we need something else. This is crazy. Unfortunately, that 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 turned into its own thing as well. <laughs> its own can of worms. Well, I got to agree with you there too. I mean, I, I I like I said, we should have some sort of standard where we have a backing of our currency, not by the crate uh, the, the the faith and credit of the American people and their their servitude and uh, labor. Uh, that's where the income tax comes in. That's why I think it's unconstitutional. And uh, we should not have that. You know, I mean, again, you go back, we're a republic, not a democracy. Democracy is two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. You know, uh, so, I mean, again, but, but while so, we're a republic, republic, we also form democratically of elect many of our elected officials. So we are a democratic republic true. in that we do democrat. And, but, but here's the other thing is that we have situations, we have politicians, and I mean, both sides are guilty of this, but I see conservatives as being much more guilty of this is that trying to take away the power of individual voters by gerrymandering districts in such a terrible way that make it so that, you know, you're, you're taking away the power of, of voters by, and that's, that's the voter disenfranchisement. If I don't like in Louisiana, I have, there's, there's a third of the state's Democrats or maybe a half, if you count the really conservative Democrats, because we have a democratic governor currently who happens to be very pro-life. Um, but if, if you went by the last federal, the federal elections like Biden and Hillary, we should have at least two congressional seats that are Democrats and four that are Republicans to, for a total of six. But because of the way that the, the maps are gerrymandered, my voting power is cut in half because I, because I, because I only have one Democratic district that I happen to live in, and you know because it's so drawn so. Oddly, and look, Maryland's terrible. Maryland is a terribly gerrymandered state that, to the detriment of of Republicans. And uh, I mean, that's a whole other show that we could get into that. But you know, there to that's me, what I've seen here, the uh, voting districts, yeah. 
I mean, to me, I don't think we even need districts anymore. I think we should just be doing slice of candidates because the, the purpose of having a, 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 a district geographically is because it was hard for people on horse and buggy to get across the, the, a bigger, a, a, a big district to try and talk to their people. So they had to, you know, they courted it off. Like, okay, you only have to talk to these people in this area. Nowadays, we can travel across the country <laughs> in the same amount of time it would take to to travel. So, so instead of so if Louisiana has six, just vote a slate of six candidates. Don't don't and don't have any congressional districts at all. And that way you'd get a, a more truly because the House of Representatives is supposed to be the House of the People, but it's become the House of the House of whoever controls the state, um, which is in and of itself, well, that's is, true. Is, 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 yeah. which, in and of, which in and of itself is an example of state governments infringing on individual rights. And in, 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 in Maryland, it's Democrats infringing on Republican rights. It's Louisiana, it's Republicans infringing on Democratic rights. Um, but, and, and what do you then think the, only the solution should be then? Do you, you think it should be a third party? Should there definitely be a third party that would break up the two-party system then? Uh, I, the I think all a third party does is it just is it weakens one of the parties and gives the other one the power. That's why one you have to i think we need we maybe might need a, a just a change and have a more parliamentary type of system that would force that would that would get a true representation of the people of the country at least in the in the in the in the in the house of representatives and that way you might be able to you know get the real beliefs of everybody in the country but um we have my solutions yeah. Get rid of the GOP and the DNC because they're basically corporations that muscle around and tell you – like they can blacklist you and say, we don't care if you identify as Democrat. We're not going to like basically let you run, uh, and, and that's, that's wrong too. Like basically censuring a politician because you don't like that they didn't agree with the thing that your party is, even though you're of that party, that's messed up. So either total decentralization, no parties, just these are my platforms, or – viable third and fourth party and i say viable as in like if you only have like one vote like all that does is muddle things but if you've got like you know if you've got a good chunk of people in a separate party that can represent a different demographic then you don't have that 1v1 problem we have right now because right now it's just a tug of war 1v1 and you don't have anybody That's kind right. of leaning this way or that but we don't have enough people that are more in the middle or more this way or, you know, maybe I'm very, very progressive, but I think we need stricter financial things. But there's nobody in the progressive party that I, that I can support. Or maybe I'm very, very conservative, but I think socially I'm all for like marital equality and all that stuff. And there's nobody in the conservative party that can identify a, a viable third party has a lot of those overlaps. Um, Jello can't remember his last name. Uh, lead singer of Dead Kennedys is a proud member of the Green Party and Rainbow Party um, because they align with his platforms. The problem is he's not getting represented, and that's a problem. So the DNC has too much power. They have too much power to be able to say, "Hey, AOC, you need to get on money. board and sell out." Yeah, and, and they, it's but about, so does the RNC. Have money money. Run, they don't let you, and the D, and the GOP has the same freaking problem step in line or get out of the party. And that's, that's not representative because people are mad on my end on the left. They're mad at AOC. They're blaming her. They're calling her a sellout. They're calling her fake because she's, she's voting in line with the party. But they basically threatened to take away her ability to run again if she didn't. So that's you got not all right. these people. Exactly. And like, that's a problem. And I'm sure it happens on both sides. And I think that is the danger of the two-party system is each party becomes so powerful, they become so full of themselves. I've actually spoken to her a couple of times, yeah. actually, uh, 
I've actually spoken to her a couple of times, uh, a couple of years ago, actually. So, uh, and, I, and the yeah. media does distort a lot of her messages, and I will say that you know I don't agree with her yeah. what, what she a lot she says, but but I can see the media distorting a lot of what she says, and they take the wrong. The media is dangerous. I mean, it puts the oh, wrong yeah. spin on a lot of things. And I hate to say it, but Reagan kind of really screwed the pooch on that one too. Like the the whole there used to be the responsibility in journalism where like they weren't allowed to sensationalize stories. And I get I get his point that you need to be able to add a little flavor in order to get the ratings. Why can't news get like they they need the money too? I I kind of get that, but snowball effect. Now we've got Fox and MSN. Like all right, we got just, three and a half what? minutes left before right. it's a hard cut off on Blog Talk right. Radio. Let me get Joseph. Give me a minute of just plug your stuff. Let me let everybody know how to get in contact, how to listen to you, how to where to um, where to find your campaign, et cetera. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks for the conversation. It was a good conversation. It's always good to have good, healthy discussions, uh, even if you don't agree all the time. But uh, maybe we can think about things later on and maybe uh, come up with some better ideas and definitely contribute more positively than what's going on right now in this country. But uh, people want to listen to my podcast every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Joseph Gibson, uh, Gibson Media, Restoring Our Republic, and you can go to um, the josephgibson.com. US. You can find me there. That's my website there. For, uh, and just find out what I stand on and what I believe in here in North Carolina. And uh, I just want to say thanks for a great conversation tonight, and I appreciate your audience. And, uh, uh, again, thank you. Take care. Merry Christmas, All right, everybody. Thank you. you. I mean, you have a good one. I think it was once better than our last conversation, but I appreciate you. We'll, maybe we'll do it again. Maybe we'll make it a monthly thing. Who we'll, we'll, who knows? We'll see. But, again, thank you so much for calling in. Uh, appreciate it. It was fun to do the simulcast. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks. All right, and so um, I'm sorry, other caller, I just did not have an opportunity to get to you. I'm really sorry. Um, I do want to play in the brief minute that we have this week's Hypocrite of the Week. This week's Hypocrite of the Week is Elon Musk. The Twitter owner claimed to be a free speech purist, whatever that means. He then went ahead and banned several left-wing media accounts, all because they were mean to him or something. Musk doesn't understand freedom of speech, nor does he follow his own flawed definition of it. Now we wait to see if he resigns from his own poll. To see who next week's Hypocrite of the Week will be, tune in Liberal Day and Radio, talk from the left, that's right, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on Liberal Day and Radio on YouTube and blogtalkradio.com slash liberaldan. All right, now, Demonox, give us 45 seconds or so about um, why the AI thing isn't a violation of intellectual property. All of the data that's used in an AI for building is basically just used for reference material. The computer is trained to look at it to identify this is a cat, this is a hat, this is a person, this is a ball. Then that information is purged. It is then recreating its own interpretation based on algorithmic formulas and your input. So that is like saying that looking at a piece of an art in a museum and then going home and trying to draw your own thing is theft. Also, hypothetically, let's pretend in the fantasy world that they are actually using your pieces of art and multiple pieces of art. That's not how it works, but let's pretend that it is. That is called collage art. And I dare you to tell Helen Hawke that her art is not art. She is a famous collage artist from, I think it was 1970s. Collage is legally protected, fair use. So even though AI does not work that way, the conversation that it is uh, non-consensual is irrelevant and hypocritical. Thank you. Okay, well, there you go. Um, you need to do a podcast on that particular thing. I'm hoping for the next uh, World According to Knox. Hopefully, we'll cover that one. 
Uh, until next, I'm, I'm, I'm tomorrow I'm live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash nerdydan.com. I'll be on there playing some games. Join me. We can have a fun conversation, etc. Um, I may do some other lives as well. Again, have a uh, happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah that everybody celebrates. Merry Christmas. Everybody celebrates. Everything else as well. Until next week, Dan from the Radio. That's right. <laughs>